The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your host, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith on today's show, we're reviewing the first round of Tag Team Turbulence, Summer Struggle, previewing Russell Grand Slam, answering listener questions, and covering all of this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like Dark Mode. Improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. What an incredible introduction. I mean, gift of the gods, just that voice, (laughs) that silky smoothness, just bringing us all in, familiarity, you know? It's like comfort food. It's like grandma's (laughs) chicken noodle soup, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man, the, the dulcet tones of uh, keeping it strong style. And uh, young boy, we are on the road, the road to episode 200. We are 10 episodes away from completing 200 episodes, never missing a week of keeping it strong style out on the airwaves. Well, some of us have missed weeks. <laughs> Yes, but there, there, there has always been a keeping it strong style every week, regardless of one of us was missing. There was always a keeping it strong style out there. Well, um, here's the like crazy news about that. Episode 200, we have the biggest guest we have ever had on the show coming for episode 200. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but uh, his last name... Rhymes with not a Hashi. (laughs) (laughs) And he's coming here with his tag team partner. um, And his last name rhymes with Sushi. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have anyone lined up. Not not yet, but you know, there's, there's a lot of 
big shows that are going to be coming up to review. I mean, we're going to be in the middle of G1 season in a few weeks, and so uh, I'm sure we can pull some strings. We have Resurgence coming up. I'm sure, you know, there might might be a chance that some special people might pop up on the show on the road to episode 200. Yeah, man, I've been getting fit. I've been working on my fight moves, my different stances, movements, throwing some, uh, been going down to the gym, throwing some um, Judas effects, letting people know that I could <laughs> dominate them in a fight if need be. Uh, but the main thing is I'm preparing for our trek to Los Angeles because if anybody tries to tell me to wear a mask, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Okay, I don't want my rights being infringed upon. I'm just frustrated, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Actually, I think they're, like, in full lockdown. I think we're going to have to wear masks literally everywhere. Yeah, the whole weekend. Um, yeah. yeah. Resurgence was already uh, masked uh, unless you're eating or drinking. So, yeah, that's like we're, we're rocking the mask all weekend. Yeah, bro. I'm, I guess I'm going to go have to buy a mask. I, bro, I got I got vaccinated. I don't wear a mask anywhere in Florida. <laughs> yeah, dude, I don't. Yeah. I, the only place I had, I had to wear a mask last Friday. I went to the dentist and they're still requiring all their patients to to wear a mask. Oh, I got an Uber the other day and they're like, we require masks. And I was like, OK, yeah, that's straight. And they're like, you got one? Please check. <laughs> yes. And I was like, yeah. And then I started looking around. We're going to go pick up my car and all my masks are in my car and I was like oh shit I don't have like a mask anymore I had to find like one of those like cloth masks that people like foraged you know they like literally like like the make your you own know. ones yeah <laughs> <laughs> what's that called when uh like grandma like takes a like crochet two- yeah someone crocheted <laughs> me a fucking mask and I was like I think I think the COVID can get through these holes, but, uh, you know, something's better than nothing. So I'm going to chance it. Hey man, as long as you're covered, you're straight. Don't matter if there's holes in the mask or not. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So yeah, I'm probably going to need a mask for uh, the show, but I, I got to get like a one with like a, like Antonio Inoki's face on it. So people know, okay. They know that I'm with, you know, I'm with the shit, you know what I'm saying? They know you're a mark. <laughs> oh, yo. So, yeah. Did you see that picture I sent you, uh, the group chat this past week? Yeah, I did. We actually have a question about it later on in the show. Oh, someone asked a question. <laughs> yeah, so for the you guys that don't know, when I was a little kid, I had, like, un, untold number of uh, wrestling action figures. You saw, bro, the picture's so blurry, I can't even make out yeah. all, all the figures. But there's probably, like, a good two, three hundred figures in that picture yeah i'll ask the question now it's from uh dan coffer in front of the show he said, is the rumor true that as a child young boy owned the world's largest collection of wrestling <laughs> action figures listen man i i believed that i did okay i'd never met so growing up you know wwf was in its heyday the early 90s those ha those hasbro action figures were pretty popular so i always i knew like lots of kids that had a couple but I didn't know any other child that was like me that had literally hundreds of these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, do you remember that? Did you ever watch that show Figure It Out? On yeah, Nickelodeon? Nickelodeon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and like a kid who's like exceptional could go on there. And I was like, I'm not exceptional in any way <laughs> except for the fact that I have the world's largest wrestling toy figure collection. So I like prepared to like – I thought I was going to be a shoe in Like I thought it was a formality. 
me like you know they they at the end of the episodes they'd be like if you want to you know be a contestant you know write us here send us a picture let us know what your talent is and we'll you know we'll let you know if we can get you on and i was like man they're gonna put me on for sure i got the largest (laughs) wrestling toy collection like and i knew you know nobody knows as much about wrestling as me so like these you know danny tamborelli and these different like guests are not gonna be able to to guess what mine is i'm definitely gonna win amanda bynes yeah amanda bynes doesn't know shit about hulk hogan like come on so I knew I was going to get that, like, vacation to Universal Studios, you know, resort, you know, with, with the fast passes and everything. But um, I took the photo. I was probably, like, 12, maybe, like, yeah, you know what? There's a picture of my trumpet. That means it's sixth grade, so I'm, like, 11 or 12 there. And, yeah, I was pretty confident that I was going to, you know, go on there. Little did I know that I did not have the world's largest wrestling toy collection by any means. <laughs> did they respond to you or like, nah, we, we found somebody else? They didn't else. say shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get anything back. <laughs> I was waiting for a long time, too. I was like, man, these uh, Nickelodeon people dragging their feet. Don't they know? Don't well, they know what's up? I got the, the world's largest wrestling toy collection. What's going on here? <laughs> yeah, what's happening? Oh, man, that's hilarious. But uh, let's jump into uh, New Japan here. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. And we'll start with some hot news. So Switchblade Jay White is in the new cycle again. Jay White appeared at the end of Impact Wrestling Slammiversary pay-per-view that happened this Sunday. And he came out, stood face-to-face with former leader of the Bullet Club, Kenny Omega. Uh, Kenny Omega, the good brothers, Don Callis, they, they threw up the two sweet. I was trying to get Switchblade to, to two sweet them. But then uh, they were like, brother Switchblade. Yes. <laughs> uh, brother Switchblade didn't tell me who was sending help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dude. Kenny Omega is freaking hilarious. That's uh, got to be literally one of the funniest things from Kenny's time as a heel in AEW is him. <laughs> Him telling Kenta, brother Switchblade. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know brother Switchblade was sending help. Oh, man. But yeah, so yeah, they're trying to, you know, cool things over with brother Switchblade. Throw two sweets up. Uh, Jay White just staring them na- down. But then uh, Finn Juice came out. The pay-per-view cut off. But Finn Juice came out, hit, hit the ring to attack Jay White. Jay hits the Blade Runner on Juice and runs for it. So, Yumbo, what do you think, man? Switchblade, Jay White, showing up at Impact. Um, we'll talk about the Impact spoilers here in a second. But overall, just thoughts on the angle that happened here on Sunday. Well, I got to tell you, I haven't seen it. Um, you know, I, I thought about watching the Slammiversary event, and then I didn't. Because <laughs> it's TNA, and I don't really watch you know Impact <laughs> like that. But, um you know, I do want to see. I heard really good things about the Kenny Omega Sammy Callahan match, so I'd like to check that out at some point. I didn't even watch this uh, this angle, but I was out with friends. Uh, you know, actually, believe it or not, I sang karaoke this past weekend like I was freaking Tai Chi. Oh wow! Did you sing Tai Chi's theme song? Ah, uh, no, I sang some. I don't know, some new wave like eighty shit. <laughs> what about what about Judas? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know if they would have had that on the machine. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you see, like, the clip of him singing and, like, there's no one there? Yeah, it was, like, some concert he did over the weekend or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. It looked embarrassing, though. Yeah. Anyways, back back to the task at hand. So I'm out 
you know, with friends. And then uh, one of you guys sent something to the group, and it was like Jay White just walked out on Slammiversary, challenged Kenny Omega, and I was like, oh, <gasps> like I, I fucking marked out. So I haven't actually even seen the angle. I just I read what happened, I saw it, and I was like, oh my god, we're getting you know. Switchblade versus Kenny, like that's incredible, and that's pretty much where I'm at. You know, and he walked out with the Never Title too. Yeah. So also we know Kenny's in the the belt collector mode, grabbing titles from promotions across oh, the God. world. So um, yeah, I mean, Kenny, he he could want the Never Title. I don't, has Ken, I don't think Kenny ever held the Never Title, did he? That is the one major men's singles belt that he's never held. And if he were to hold it, he would be the second man to be the quadruple IWGP champion along with Jay White. And we talked on this show about when Jay White accomplished that. We're like, there's very few people who could do it. Kenny could, but like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's maybe not the case. It's, it's looking like a, a, a very real possibility now. Yeah, and so we, we don't know quite where this angle is going. We'd have a question here from Dom Homie 101. Any thoughts on Jay White showing up on the recent Impact Review event to confront the elite? And what will that be the end game in this situation? Um, so, yeah, like you, I, I was not watching Pay Per View live. Um, I still have not watched Pay Per View. I did watch the angle. The angle is up on New Japan World. Uh, the angle here with Jay White and Kenny, and also uh, Finju showing up. They had a like random squash match on the pay per view. That that angle is also up on New Japan World right now. Um, so yeah, thought thought those angles cool. Thought it generated a a ton of buzz. You know, Jay White and Kenny. That's a match that uh, people want to see. I mean, they wrestled a couple times in New Japan. One Jay White was a young lion, and then Jay took the U.S. title from Kenny. But we just know there's all this emotion and Bullet Club history here, and so I think it would be cool. Now, is is the end game going to be a Kenny Jay White one on one matchup? Who knows? I mean, Jay is set to face uh, Finley at Resurgence, but we don't know what's the game plan going forward. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to really kind of unpack there. I mean, um, <clears throat> my guess would be since it occurred on an impact pay-per-view, the logical thinking would be that this would occur with an impact and an impact ring. But at the same time, you know, there's always the possibility it could happen in AEW. There's always the possibility it could happen in new Japan on strong or possibly in Japan. And then there's always the possibility that we could get some sort of unknown collaborative venture between one you know two or three of the parties involved that maybe this could headline so i mean who knows what this even means there's also the thought you know is this a one-off match between kenny and jay white what titles would hypothetically be involved with that you know what i mean is he coming out to challenge him for the impact title is he coming here to is it a non-title beef is it gonna be belt for belt like i don't really know but then it could Maybe even go further than that. I mean, we've seen, you know, when um, Jay White first joined Bullet Club, that was right in the middle of the quote-unquote Bullet Club Civil War where you had Bullet Club Elite and Bullet Club OGs. Right. And it, it never really played out the way we thought it was going to. But at this point now, you've got, uh, you know, the 
what are they called in in AEW? The Super Elite, I guess. Yeah, the Elite Super Elite. Yeah. So the guys that are in that heel stable there could potentially square off with any number of Bullet Club guys between any one of these three promotions. It really opens up a lot of different possibilities, you know, and I, I don't know what's going to happen. I guess that's what's really exciting about it. Right. I mean, I know I hate, you know, one thought third term out there, forbidden door. I mean, this definitely opens up doors and avenues for more partnership down the line for big matchups. You know, Wrestle Dynasty was a show that was supposed to happen at MSG. I, I think at some point they might try and go back to MSG. I mean, I think a, a Kenny Omega Jay White matchup would, would be a huge business for a big show like that if they want to do another big U.S. show after Resurgence. Yeah, that that would be a great matchup. But like you mentioned, it, it could happen on Impact. Bound for Glory is in October. Uh, Kenny needs a, a big title match. Why not do Kenny versus Jay White for the Impact title? Or Wrestle Kingdom could always use some big. Uh, outside, you know, matches. So Kenny versus Jay could be at Wrestle Kingdom. So many options, uh, so much business to be done. Uh, very exciting times. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always, uh, you know, there might be Impact fans who are looking at this and s- saying to themselves, you know, Impact kind of gave them the platform. It should happen in Impact. But, you know, if this partnership is one that is strengthened, simply by running the angle and it just happens to be the first spot where the feud is ignited, but the matches actually take place outside. I think that's still okay because it gave a lot of buzz and um, eyeballs and sort of attention to impact for the time being, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the match is going to play out in impact. Um, I personally don't think it should because uh, while I think it was a, a great jumping point, I don't think that the return for a match like that for the other two companies, unless it's just a make good, like they're just kind of, you know, uh, doing a favor for impact, you know, while, you know, Jay's kind of here in the States and all that. And Kenny's kind of running out of viable challengers in, in impact. That might be the case. I also don't think, um, I personally don't think this should happen in AEW or at least not on dynamite. Um, you know, I know we've seen some of like Mox's uh, different like feuds kind of play out there, but I I think that there's just bigger business that can be done between these two. Like you mentioned, if if it was up to me and I'm New Japan or Tony Khan, I would try to arrange some way to make this happen on a bigger stage, on a bigger venue. Um, now, if it was like say. I'm not saying this is going to be where it is, but let's say it was something comparable to the Arthur Ashe show that they're running. Then I think that does, you know, that could be plausible, but I don't see Tony Khan and them spending a lot of um, time and energy on their show, kind of building up a match like this. So my thinking is like a new Japan show that is like the one that they were going to do at Madison square garden. The only thing is we don't see like anything like that on the horizon coming up, but Resurgence is is right around the corner, and now I'm starting to feel like, what if Kenny Omega shows up at Resurgence, and what if that is the catalyst for something else down the road? Because I feel like that's where New Japan and AEW both can get the biggest bang for their buck is if they do run some sort of like, you know, it doesn't have to be a co-ventured show, but a main event of Kenny Omega versus um, Jay White in a larger building. I think that, one, it helps Jay because Jay's already, quote-unquote, 
you know, proven that he's a draw in the States, although I don't think that's true. But they have the numbers to back it where he headlined Madison Square Garden and all that. But if he runs again in a large building that's similar against Kenny Omega and it draws, then it might actually really help to establish him as a North American draw, which is what I think that they kind of desperately need from someone like him. Yeah. And then uh, with Kenny, you know, Kenny's just kind of, like you said, he's the belt collector right now. He's kind of doing his thing. He's drawing big numbers, big attention everywhere he goes, whether it's Mexico, you know, um, Impact and, you know, AEW and now, you know, wrestling New Japan guys. But I don't really know how it's actually going to play out. Yeah, and I, I think Elite versus Bullet Club is big money. We saw when Kenny wore a Bullet Club shirt on an Impact pay-per-view a few months ago how the shirt sales uh, skyrocketed on Pro Wrestling Tees. So just, just from the merchandise and just the, the buzz and business they can do from Bullet Club versus Elite, I think would be huge. Yeah, and I mean, if you have all parties involved working together for something like this, there's huge business to be done there. I actually think that that's a much bigger deal Um than just Jay White versus Kenny Omega. If you can get a Bullet Club, uh, I think that it really does help to elevate Bullet Club because right now we've kind of talked about how like the Bullet Club, while they're fine in kayfabe within their own company, they're not viewed largely by, I don't think, either audience as being as impactful or respected as what you know the original couple iterations of the Bullet Club were seen as. And if they and they haven't had anything truly meaningful as a as a group since Kenny and, and the elite like left the group. Um, and that's not me just like, you know, downplaying them. But I'm talking about like, think about it for a second. How many major feuds has the Bullet Club had within New Japan? You know, chaos like, you know, LIJ. There really hasn't been anything sustained like there had been in the past. Right. Th- this would really draw huge attention to all companies involved. They could do huge business, um, and I think it would it'd be something that um, helps everybody. And you know, just think of like the video packages and montages that they could do. It kind of makes sense why you've seen stuff like um, Jay White sort of referring to himself as the real belt collector in New Japan. And I was sort of like, is he angling for a match with Kenny? How is that going to work out? And now we're starting to see it come to fruition, and it's like wow, this must have all kind of been in the works for some time now, you know? Right. Uh, we did have uh, some questions here from Steven from the Wrestling Squared Circle. Both of his questions kind of go hand in hand. He says, do you think the lukewarm response Jay had made NJPW do a rewind in their minds on his, if this is the right place? And he said, based on the reception Jay White got live, fans didn't seem to know who he was or even their internet people didn't know him either. Do you think that Impact was the right fit for what looks, looks like to be a working agreement? Did, is that how you saw it? Did you think that the live audience was confused by him or, you know, uh, lukewarm reception? Yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't a huge... Well, I think there was there was a pop when, like, the Bullet Club logo came on, then Jay came out, and then people were... I think, <laughs> I think there maybe was... Well, the, the commentary said, like, people were like, stunned silence, but it wasn't, like, a huge, like, OMG-like like, moment. Like, think about it. Who, the, who, who else, like, who else could it have possibly been? You know what I mean? Like, right. The Bull Club logo comes out and like, oh shit! It, I, I hope it's bad luck Fale. You know? <laughs> like, who else would you be expecting? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know who they were expecting, but yeah, the, it wasn't like a huge pop. I mean, it was like pretty, pretty quiet. And then you know, D'Lo Brown's like, the crowd is stunned. Silence. And so, That's a good cover. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, you know, um, I don't think that there's 
the biggest overlap between Impact Wrestling fans and New Japan Pro Wrestling fans, honestly. Uh, I, I I mean, New Japan is a, is a niche product. I don't think there's... Uh, the biggest overlap with New Japan is going to be diehard indie fans or, you know, some of the older, you know... Um, AEW fans. I think that there's probably at this point a considerable considerable amount of AEW fans who never watched New Japan, who like are peripherally aware of it, but like there's not even you know the biggest crossover there either at this point, you know. Right, and so I'm, I'm sure people know like Kenny and all of them were in the were in the Bullet Club, but they don't know what's happening with the Bullet Club right now. So uh, sometimes it feels like New Japan doesn't either. <laughs> Um, but you know, we saw when Kenta made his, uh, way over to AEW and like it had a lot of buzz, a lot of attention on the internet and in circles, but then the general audience, the numbers were a little bit disappointing for his segments and matches. Um, you know, they were down that week, which was just kind of surprising. And I think a lot of it is, yeah, I don't think there is as many people as familiar with the wrestlers from new Japan. Um, you know, I think across the board, you know, do I think that there's a way that you can hype up a Tanahashi and Okada and Ibushi or like say a Jay White or even, even Will Ospreay? Yeah. But do I think that they're, you know, firmly in the mindset and the zeitgeist of the general average North American wrestling fan? I don't think they are other than just as a name that they've heard. And, you know, forget about the deeper parts of Pearl. Like, they don't know who Goshi Ozaki is and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. so, um, I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and that's kind of why I was mentioning why I think it would be a good idea to have a major match with Kenny Omega and Jay White under the New Japan banner because New Japan is trying at this point to make uh, an expansion play into North America and they need a, a key player. And Mox, while he's kind of their guy, he's mainly an AEW talent, and that's where his allegiance in North America kind of lies. But Jay White's their home homegrown boy, and you know he's not like this. Just kind of even shows that he's not as well known as he possibly could be. And I think that they the stage could be set to really potentially do something big here. You know. Right, and you know, a lot of people are speculating, you know, who can take the Impact title from Kenny? They look at the Impact roster, it's like, it's not really a guy I can see. Well, why not have somebody like Switchblade J. White take the belt off of Kenny? And then you kind of uh, help that relationship with New Japan. Yeah, I mean, in in the one respect, that does make sense to me, and it screams Rev Pro British heavyweight title to me because yeah. we saw a lot of times where the Rev Pro title is being traded between new Japan guys. And, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if potentially Jay white were to maybe be that guy the, 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 the you know, the big thinking though, is if AEW is run traditionally the way most major companies are his, you know, his top prize there is going to take precedent over any other outside booking. So I don't see him dropping that belt until he loses the AEW title. Obviously, he's got a title um, defense coming up on the next pay-per-view with Hangman Adam Page. A lot of people think that's where his uh, where he's probably going to drop the belt. Um, I'm not completely convinced that that's the case. But if that were to happen, that would open the door for something like Jay White potentially taking the Impact title. And then 
it, that would really strengthen the, the Impact New Japan partnership. Kind of feels like Ring, Ring of Honor would be out in the cold at that point. <laughs> right. And I'm also wondering if, like, maybe at that at that juncture, do you have Jay White, you know, defend that belt in Japan? Do you have him, you know, come back and, and work shows as the Impact World Champion? Um, is there money in a return match between him and Kenny a- after that, depending on how that match plays out? You know, these are all things that need kind of, you know, we're all kind of wondering. Right, and I think that, um, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of business to be made here. So I, I think we'll see something come up. But let's talk you about – oh, go ahead. I, I, my biggest thing is I love when there's animosity and, and feuds cross-promotionally like this. And just the idea of two factions from rival territories and groups potentially mixing it up with – now, don't get me wrong. While I was advocating for Kenny and Jay to potentially have that match on a big stage for New Japan, I wouldn't be opposed to them doing it in Impact or AEW, provided they presented the right uh, platform for it. You know, big enough, you know, building, big enough show. Um, But beyond that, if hypothetically there was a feud between them or, you know, the elite and the Bullet Club, Dude, you could do any number of matches across all promotions. You know, why not have multi-man tag matches, you know, in AEW on Dynamite and, you know, Rampage and all that, you know, in in TNA on their monthly pay-per-views, you know, that sort of shit. Like, dude, who knows? Maybe we could maybe it could eventually work its way to a War Games match, you know? <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, blood and guts with uh, the Elite vs. Bullet Club. That would be so sick. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we're probably just fantasy booking ourselves like this is not it's probably just gonna be a one-off match but like i would love to see all that sort of stuff happen i know that there's a, a subsect of fans that are anti-aw don't want this stuff but i think that this would be nothing but beneficial to new japan long term right and so let's talk about the spoilers from the impact tapings real quick so if you are a impact viewer you might want to fast forward a little bit we're going to talk about some spoilers from the tapings that happened uh, Monday and Tuesday, so five, four, three, two, one. Spoilers from Impact coming up. So uh, Hulk Hogan returned <laughs> to Impact this week, and he was brandishing the original IWGP title, declaring himself as the still reigning IWGP champion, and he's now going to be challenging Kenny Omega at the upcoming Hard to Kill pay-per-view. <laughs> oh, man, no. no In a no. last-man-standing match. No, no uh, red and yellow for Impact r- at right now. Who knows? Maybe That's correct, because he did not show up in the red and yellow. He showed up in the black and white NWO Hollywood colors. Oh, man. No, no. No Hogan at Impact. <laughs> and he bought the Yappa Pie. <laughs> uh, what, what, what did actually happen was Chris Bay joins the Bullet Club. So Impact did put out a teaser video on their social media of Chris Bay going to the locker room. There being a Bullet Club shirt laying on his chair, and the, the tapings happen, and Jay White officially recruits Chris Bay to the Bullet Club. They team up in some tag matches, and Jay seconds um, Chris Bay on some of the matches on the Impact taping. So it uh, looks like Chris Bay is a, a member of uh, Impact, or excuse me, a member of Bullet Club, and we did have a question here from Viking Payne. says, Bay to BC, thoughts on the possibility of seeing Chris Bay in New Japan more in the future? You know, I'm a little surprised by this. Um, I 
I like Chris Bay a lot. I've been impressed with him. I know you're a big fan. Um, I'd like to see more of him. But my feelings right now are not that like – I guess why this is so surprising to me is it doesn't feel like he is an impact guy that is like just kind of there. But like who knows? His contract's about to be up and like this is a play to bring him to Japan. What it feels like is this is a signed impact talent that is clearly defined as an impact guy who will now be like brandishing the the Bull Club logo and and all that and then potentially coming over to Japan to work but like still as an impact guy and a member of the Bull Club. Last time we saw anything like this was during the, you know, the heyday of the Bull Club and Ring of Honor. We haven't seen anything like that since the ring of you know since aw split um and the elite left ring of honor so like it's kind of shocking because i haven't even considered the idea that through all these partnerships it would be anything more than a talent trade but now we're talking crossover storylines crossover um you know factions i mean it's very exciting but it it does make me wonder what's going on with ring of honor like if if i'm carrie silken in them like i I'm fucking fuming, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Ring of Honor does seem left out in the cold. I do, we do have some comments from Joe Coff later on in the news talking about what, what he thinks is going on with the partnership. But, yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, back in the day, you know, ROH, you had Marty Skrull, you had Hangman Page, you had Cody, you had all these guys kind of joining the, the Bullet Club from the Ring of Honor side and then using that to jump over to Japan. So now we're seeing that here with Chris Bay. Uh, Chris Bay did work Super J Cup last year on Strong, so... Um, that was kind of one of the first signs of Impact and New Japan working together again. And it seems like uh, New Japan's had their eyes on Chris Bay for a while now. And so um, when you look at the tea leaves and look at the seeds that were planted, it makes a ton of sense. And it's very interesting with the, with the partnership between I- Impact and New Japan. And I think you know going forward, um, if Chris Bay does come to Japan, I think he would be very well utilized in the junior division. We've talked about it over and over. We need... Fresh blood in the junior division. We we need more guys coming in. We need more guys coming in because that's what New Japan's junior division has been based off of. And so, bringing in Chris Bay for best of super juniors, having him you know be a junior champ, you know face off against Hiromu and Taiji, and um, you know having some big matches that would be awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. We've talked about um, the junior division and you know their struggles and how that division has always been very much a uh, international centric sort of group. And, you know, Chris Bay's inclusion in the New Japan Cup earlier last year, or maybe it was this year, I don't remember. Yeah, was it this it year? Was, it, was was last, year? it was December last year because they ran Super J Cup right after uh, That's right. Best Super Junior and World Tag League. Yeah, that was something that was really cool and really exciting, but I didn't expect to see anything beyond that. Um, But his inclusion now, I mean, it opens up a lot of doors and possibilities, and um, that's really cool. You know, it's kind of funny, like, Bull Club gets another junior, and, like, the uh, United Empire, like, still doesn't even have one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I believe it's the first, you know, member that is us a part of the Bullet Club. They've, They've never had a black guy in the Bull Club at all? I don't think so. Oh, shoot. That's crazy. Let me look this up. You know, we, we've had a bunch of Tongans. Uh, I'll say a bunch of white dudes. Um, well, yeah, I well, I don't know how that works. Like, is like uh, 
Balak Folly is like a little dark. Is he like there's no like influence there, or is it just completely like a, a Pacific Islander thing? I'm not 100. From my understanding, I just, I just thought he was 100 percent Tongan, but he could he could be mixed. Yeah, well, because I know like for instance, like in Puerto Rico, like I'm Puerto Rican, and like there, there's definitely like uh like Black Caribbean like influence there with some people. Um, I don't know. I'm not from the islands. So I don't know exactly how it works, but it's a lot of racism in Puerto Rico. You know about that? Yeah, I've heard of Yeah. It's like the light skinned like Puerto Ricans like hate the black Puerto Ricans. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's intense down there. It's like kind of crazy. Um I mean, the original Bone Soldier, we never saw under that mask. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never know. Um yeah, I'm looking. I mean, they've had uh, El Terrible and, you know, Le Commandant. So they had some some uh, Hispanic members. But, uh, oh, no, 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 no. They have had a black member before. Who? Brandy Rhodes. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, well, first, black male wrestler then. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Uh, they, had, they had the Tokyo Latina. Oh, uh, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. So yeah, he's the first you know black wrestler period that they've had in the group. Yeah, that's uh, kind of crazy. That is crazy. When you think about that. Bullet Club's been around for so long, and it, well, yeah, him being the first you know, active black wrestler in the group. Yeah, kind of surprising. That's uh, cool. We had a question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV says Jay White recruited the newest member of Bull Club, Chris Bay. Pretend you are Jay White. Who would you recruit to be a part of Bull Club? Pick one from AEW, one from ROH, one non Japan, New Japan, Puro Company, etc. Oh, uh, that's tough. Um, well, I can tell you right off the bat, if I was going to grab someone um, non New Japan Pro Rezu, I'd go with a. Uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima. I fucking love Nakajima from Noah. So that'd be my get. I would I'd grab him for sure. If I'm going non New Japan Puro, uh give me give me Marifuji. Marifuji's good. I also thought about Kano. Mm. I like Kano a lot. Um as far as AEW, you got a good AEW pick? I mean, I'd probably pick uh, Kenny Omega. Uh, Young Bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what about Sting? Uh, he's, here. he's already wearing the white and black. I'm going to get the bunny. <laughs> I'm going with, with I, uh, Big Butch. No, nah, for real, though. If you had to pick one guy from AEW, who would you pick? I, I'm not even sure personally. Hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll go with uh, MJF. Yeah, that's not a bad one. Um, yeah, that's not a bad one at all. Man, I'm looking at their personnel list because, like, even though I watch the show, there's a lot of wrestlers there. It's, it's kind of crazy. They've got so many guys. Um, I'd, I'd take Pac. Oh yeah, that that's a great one. Yeah, I think that's a good one. So I'll take him, and then Ring of Honor. God, I don't even know who's in Ring of Honor. Um, who you got? 
Uh, let's see here. Ring of Honor roster. Let's see. Uh, you know what? Fuck it. Like I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm picking Bandito. <laughs> <laughs> but what's funny about that? I don't know. You'll see it. Uh, Bandito in a Bullet Club shirt. Just picturing that. Just... Bro, Ban- Bandito would look raw. He'd come out. His his Bullet Club shirt would be cut on the sides. It would be like. You know, it'd be cut on the side and it'd it'd have tassels. He'd come Mm -hmm. out and and bro, think about how like most of the time he'd wear like the black or the gray, but like for the big matches, he'd come out in the white. Yes. Like AJ, (laughs) bro, he'd be, he'd be a fucking raw member of the Bullet Club. Well, since you picked up. Like if if, if Bandito got picked up, like, you know, bye bye ELP. Well, since you picked the Luchador from ROH, I will also pick Luchador from ROH. I will pick Demonic Flamita. You don't want Mike Bennett? Miracle? <laughs> hey, you know what? Real quick, you mentioned Mike Bennett. You know, I've never been the biggest Mike Bennett fan. I always thought he was mid, but he had a great match with Jonathan Gresham at Best in the World for the pure title. I went four and a quarter on it. That that literally the best Mike Bennett match I've ever seen. You know, I... Actually, when you asked this question, I wanted to do a bit where, like, I just uh, named, like, classic ROH guys that are, like, not there anymore. <laughs> CM Punk. <laughs> I'll take Punk. <laughs> no? All right. I'll take the Human Tornado. Necro Butcher. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the Necro Butcher. Uh, you know, give me Jimmy Jacobs. <laughs> give me uh, Prince Nana. <laughs> That's funny. But, yeah, good question. Uh, next question comes from Ricky, our buddy Ricky from the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. He says, let's assume Omega gets past Jay White. Do you think we will ever see Abushi Okada confronting Omega at some point? It's a great question. I mean, I, I've got a – well, one thing I will say is I don't know down the line that it will always be a situation where it will be an Abushi or an Okada confronting Kenny Omega, you know, that almost implies like they got to come see him. You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, last I heard, like Kenny ain't got no wins over this man, Ibushi. So (laughs) 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 he might want to come confront, you know, the fucking golden star. I don't know. Right. Um, Yeah. uh, But Okada, he got beat. So he might want to, he might want to make his way out to, you know, Daly's place. (laughs) <laughs> see see what's up I don't know Make make his way to uh, Arthur Ashe in uh, September Skip the G1 <laughs> Oh man Yo so today um, This is unrelated but Today like there was a report that For all the merch coming up for like the next Two quarters the report came out That like Dan O'Brien wasn't discussed At all so like he has no new merch coming out And like uh, Rich was in the group chat and he's like Dude, he's like Arthur Ashe Stadium, you know, one of the big stars in AEW is like, you know, I beat everybody's ass. There's no one left. And then all of a sudden you hear, like, da, 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 da. and like, bro, I was like, dude, if that happened, I would cry whole ass tears. Like, I would literally like rend my clothes, my garments. I would like just, you know, just completely lose my shit. So, like, you know. Who knows? Maybe maybe Brian will come work at fucking Tokyo Dome some sometime soon. You know? Yeah, my, my fancy situation would be uh, Shingo beats Abushi. He's cutting his promo. Then Daniel Bryan comes out and challenges Shingo for uh to, for the uh, MetLife 
uh, stadium Listen, show. N- not that I don't want to see uh, Shingo and, and Brian. Of course I do. But like, if I could get Danielson and Okada, <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Also, maybe we get Brian as a part of the G one. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I think there is business to be done between all these guys, you know. And Kenny's been gone long enough from uh, New Japan, you know. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Plus, he's having a banner year. Why not have those guys wrestle again? But I don't know that it will always be, you know, someone from New Japan coming out to challenge him. Like I'm waiting for that day where Kenny shows up on the fucking big screen. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And then and then the lights go out and then he's in the ring and you're like, oh my god, he, <laughs> the, uh, he learned he learned from Jericho. Yeah, but say yeah, you know, uh, Fukuoka is Jericho or Jericho did that. That that would be great if Kenny did that. Yeah, so I'm ready for that kind of stuff. Uh, next question from our buddy Rich from One Nation Radio. He says, "How great is the never open weight title going to look on Michael Nakazawa?" <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, yeah, if, if Kenny wins it, but I don't know that he will. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, it's not that that would be the worst move or anything like that. But, I mean, bro, like, the red belt's stuck in America, and then you're going to take the never belt and then make that be stuck in America. And then the white belt got amalgamated into the black belt. So it's like, damn, like, what's left? The junior belt? Like, right. <laughs> Junior belt, the most prestigious title right now. Yeah, and the strong belts in American title. Uh, America is going to have three New Japan singles titles, and New Japan is going to have one. And you know that shit got vacated this year, so I don't know if that's the move, really. <laughs> uh, but he says on a, on a serious note, should this lead to Kenny getting booked for New Japan somewhere? What do you think his reception will be among fans? I think the man who really makes most of the um, has most of the power and decision to do anything here is Tony Khan. Really depends on what he's going to allow because while I am definitely advocating in, as a fan for New Japan to be the host of this type of match, there's no denying that the biggest platform in North America for the match would be AEW. The reason why I don't see it happening in AEW is because I just can't imagine them devoting enough television time to really build it the way it should be built. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, they I, they, I, they have a hard time, you know, getting their whole roster on the two hours they have right now. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of where my hesitation is there. And then in the same respect, it really depends on how strong this partnership and union really is. Because, I mean, the the thing that, that kind of throws a monkey wrench in all this is what if New Japan does do a big show at a Madison Square Garden or what have you, you know, some big fifteen to 20,000 seat arena here in North America? Is that a threat to what AEW is doing? Um, now, if they're involved with the show and it's kind of co-produced similar to um, – G1 Supercard, then I think that's a little different, you know? Um, that's something that, that has both of their names branding on it. They could both take credit. But if it's just a New Japan show, it really would rely on Tony Khan giving them the okay to go ahead and do that. And I don't know if he sees them as, like, 
major competitors in a shared market space and that it would be bad for business or if it's something where like there need to be like assurances made on New Japan's part to strengthen the partnership so that down the line they're willing to give him a big name and Okada and Ibushi, a Tanahashi, someone like that. Um, maybe even Suzuki, who knows? Right. Shingo. I don't know. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of kind of working, moving pieces there to kind of imagine how would that even come about, you know? And I think the biggest part is Tony Khan. He's the guy with the power here in this country in that equation to make this sort of thing even capable of happening. Yeah. But I, I do think this should lead to, to kind of getting booked in New Japan, like we mentioned. I think that would be a great use of, you know, this partnership getting Kenny to do a big match in New Japan. And then also, um, as far as his reception, I think his reception would be great. I mean, the Japanese fans loved Kenny, saw him as one of his own. And so, like you mentioned, if they have that moment where the lights go out and he shows up on the big screen, if we're in an environment where fans can cheer, I think the crowd would, like, lose their minds and pop huge for him. And then for him to like show up, I think it would, it would make big uh, headlines in Japan. I think the Japanese fans would be totally into it. There is also that possibility that you kind of bring up. And, you know, they could have the match in Japan on a big stage there. I think that that possibly might not have as much of an effect for the aspect that I was sort of appealing to in that, you know, they have the ability to present Jay as a major North American market uh, figure. But even if it did happen in, in Japan, um, the mere fact that he's wrestling Kenny Omega, who is a very highly pushed and well-known commodity in North America, would still ra- raise his stock in this market, even if it didn't happen here. That's what happened to Jericho when Jericho went and worked Wrestle Kingdom. So... I could see the same effect kind of taking hold. So maybe that would be the best thing for all parties involved is do it in the domestic market. It helps new Japan's bottom line, you know, and then, you know, there's not that conflict of interest within the North American market. That's a possibility too. Yeah. So one last thing here on the whole Jay white thing, there was a tweet from Tama Tonga. He said, using Okada as a measure, like I said, you make your name against Okada, no one else. Hashtag NJPW, hashtag Slammiversary. And we had a question from EMJ Does PR. He says, for the show, this cap or nah? I didn't really get th- I saw it, but I was kind of confused as to the context. I think I get what he's saying. It's like Kenny, Kenny like got to that next level off of his matches with Okada, basically, right? Yeah, I think that that was kind of the context of it, too. Um, but I, I didn't understand like, well, why are you, what is, what is the point of this tweet? You know? Right. I don't know. It it feels weird. Like as a bullet club member, um, I would assume that he would want to put some shine on his boy who's getting ready to step into, you know, this feud with Kenny Omega, but who knows again, like we talked about, if there is a potential bullet club elite feud, I mean, the Tongans would play a huge part into that with all, all the shit talking and everything that's been on their podcasts and, you know, social media and everything. So maybe he's just, you know, playing into that gimmick some more, but it it feels like you're undermining Omega at the expense of Jay White, as opposed to focusing on Jay White and his part 
in that whole interaction is weird. Right. You think he would tweet something like, yeah, you know, Bullet Club made you and Bullet Club is still number one or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like he's putting the focus on Okada to kind of represent um, New Japan. New Japan, which is great, but then it undermines like Jay White entirely, you know, and he's the guy in this situation. So I didn't get it. Yeah. Well, that wraps up talk on Jay White. Real quick, we got to talk about the IWGP US champion, John Moxley. He defended the title last Wednesday against Machine Gun Carl Anderson on the opening of Dynamite. Retained the title here. Uh, what do you think about this matchup? Which match? Uh, John Moxley against Carl Anderson. I thought this match was fine. Um, better than fine. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I didn't have really high expectations going into the match, to be honest with you. Um, not to say that I was, like, downplaying it, but, like, I just, uh, I don't know. Like, I was just like, we'll see what, what happens here. And it was better than what I expected it to be. But on what was truly an incredible dynamite, it sort of got overshadowed by a couple of the matches and segments of the night that by the time that show was over, I kind of forgot about this match even happening. (laughs) Yeah. But um, for Carl Anderson, I mean, that's probably the best singles match I've seen him have in years. And John Moxley looked good. I, I don't know what he's doing with his hair. He needs to kind of figure that shit out. But yeah, uh, that man is—he needs to come home. He needs to t- take it all off. <laughs> <laughs> he did, and then he let it grow back out. No, he never—he like, never—he never took it all off. That was somebody photoshopped that picture of him in, in the gear, the ball head. Yeah, but he clearly buzzed it all down. Yeah, because it grew back, and you know, it, since the last time we saw him. So, like to me, that tells me he did probably bring it all down and then let it grow back out Mm, yeah he needs to just keep it down um but yeah the match was good i mean uh i'd I'd recommend it um i didn't like it as much as the kenta or the yuji nagata match but it was still you know i thought it was a great opener for dynamite yeah super hot crowd this moxie elite feud has been uh going on for some time now and so there was a lot of heat going in the match and if you if you watch the the road to shows that they do on youtube they did a lot of uh, to build up this match between anderson and moxley anderson talking about his history in new japan and being in the g1 finals and you know wanting to win iwgp singles title and bring it back to new japan uh, there's a lot of kind of interesting stuff there with that video and so yeah, I thought the match was very good, around around three and a half, uh, very hard-hitting. Like you said, probably Carl Anderson's best match in a long time, and so uh, great defense here for John Moxley. And then we got the exciting news that on tomorrow night's Dynamite, John Moxley will be defending the IWG, IWGP U.S. title in a Wrestle Kingdom 14 rematch, Texas death match in Dallas, Texas, against the Murderhawk Monster, Texas's own Lance Archer. So in, in a certain respect, I'm very excited for this because I really enjoyed the few that they had uh, Wrestle Kingdom a couple years back and the match they had that uh, Texas death match, which is pretty much just the last man standing, if I recall, right? Right. I think so. Yeah. Or it was a you could win by submission or knockout. Yeah. I was thinking I was like submission or knockout. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. But um, they're doing it on Dynamite. That's great. But, like, it's a one-week build, you know. And I'm not to say that there haven't been any interactions or little teases between 
Mox and Archer on, you know, within the world of AEW. There have been some over the, you know, but nothing serious, nothing to where you could point to and be like, oh shit, they're, they're, they're feuding, they're going to run it. And then suddenly they're in the middle of a big, big match, you know, that's a title match. And I think they're kind of just banking a little bit on the nostalgia plus the stage since it's one of those, uh, it's what, Fighter Fest again? Yeah, it's uh, Fighter Fest night too. So, you know, the one part of me is I'm excited because it's probably going to be a really great match and, you know, we get to see it for free and I'm excited for it. But I also kind of wonder if they're, uh, if they shouldn't have built this up for a little bit. It's almost like a pay-per-view level quality, you know, um, match. And I'm not complaining about them giving that away for free on TV, but I am wondering if they shouldn't have built it up a little bit more than just a couple promos the week prior. Yeah, I think they could have done a lot more. Also, you had to kind of wait until Mox beat Carl Anderson. So maybe and you want to do it in Texas because of, of Archer. But maybe if they should, they maybe should they should have pushed up the Anderson match so that way they could have built a little bit more to the Archer match. But uh, like you said, it's going to be a great matchup again. They did some great stuff on the the Road to uh, show that aired today on their YouTube channel. Uh, great promo from Archer. Great stuff from Moxley. They used footage from New Japan. Talked about the first Texas Death Match and you know Archer's history. He talked about you know winning the title from Juice Robinson and then the vacated title and being the champion because Mox couldn't make it and the whole match at Wrestle Kingdom. So looking forward to the match should be um, a great matchup. And this one is kind of up in the air, I think for the winner, you know, normally it's kind of set, you know, Mox is probably going to win the matchup, but this is the third match that these guys had. Mox has beaten him twice. He beat him at Wrestle Kingdom. He's beaten him at AEW third matchup rematch for Texas death match for the title. Uh, in Archer's home state, hometown, it's like, man, like I kind of feel like Archer should win this. Um, I don't know that he should, and I'm not guessing that he will. But, I mean, if there was a guy that New Japan was like, hey, you know, we'd like to, you know, have him come work for us, Archer could be one of those guys on the short list, you know? Right, and then especially if Resurgence is going to end up being Mox and Umino against the Good Brothers, you could have Archer do a singles defense of the U.S. title from somebody who gets a shot on Strong. That's true. It just feels so sudden that there's not enough. Like I almost feel like it, it would be a disservice to the belt to have a title switch like this, even though it's a, a really capable challenger and someone that I think we all could believe and get behind. I mean, I'm a big Archer fan, but I'm just like, you know, that would kind of suck if like Mox has had this really, really long lengthy title reign. Granted it was during a pandemic, but at the same time, like they've gone out of their way to kind of make it this big deal the past few months and all that to just have him randomly drop it to Archer with no fanfare, no buzz or anything like that. Uh, it just wouldn't seem right. I, I would almost rather that something happens here that necessitates Archer needing to get a rematch and then on the pay-per-view him beating Mox clean fair and square one two three so we you know so the world knows like Lance Archer's a a bad motherfucker you know right yeah also they could do something I don't know what the finish is I don't know I mean because also yeah I think Mox 
probably business-wise for New Japan, Mox is going to win. I, I just feel bad for Archer because I feel like he hasn't really gotten a chance to get a really big win in AEW yet. And he was such on fire leaving New Japan with his performance in the G1 and, and then the match with Mox at the Dome. I just wish that they could do some more with him. Hey, if you don't have loyalty to your company, that's what happens to you. You know what I'm saying? Okay. <laughs> I mean, from what I understand, you know, uh, Hangman Adam Page threw his whole career away by, you know, jumping to <laughs> AEW. Okay. That's, that's what, that's a, what some people think. He would have been think. an IWGP champion multiple times over at this point had he stayed in New Japan, you know? Yeah, I mean, Evil got the belt. Who knows? Maybe he, he could have. No loyalty. <laughs> no loyalty from these gaijin guys you know <laughs> uh we have some uh, questions that's, that's what some people will, will you know will say want yeah. you to think that yeah, yeah. Uh, we have some questions here. First from our user Lord underscore McDonald's. He said, y'all think NJPW going to pull out the stops and have Mox take on someone big for surgeons or going to keep with the trend of people like Nagata Anderson that he can have a good match with, but no way they're going to take the belt off of him. Well, depending what happens with this Archer match, I mean, who knows? Maybe they could do a rematch between Archer and Mox at Resurgence, which I wouldn't be opposed to at all. Yeah, that would be great. I would love for that match to happen. Um, part of my theory about the Good Brothers and Umino and Mox sort of required there to be more of that sort of teased and, and alluded to last week. And clearly that didn't play out that way. So I'm not thinking that that's going to be the case still. Yeah, we've seen no direction of that. We haven't even seen Umino on Strong yet. So we're not not quite sure the direction they're going to go with him on Resurgence. But that was kind of my hot take. I was hoping to like be ahead, you know. <laughs> hey, you still might, there's still a few weeks. So we still might be ahead on that one. Uh, we had a question here from our user Viking Payne. says, I have the feeling that Moxley being involved in all sorts of different U.S. title matches now is a sign that he'll be dropping it soon, particularly at Resurgence. If you can pick one NJPW guy to take it off of him, who would it be and why? It's a tough question. I mean, who who do we have announced for that show in general? Let me... Like, uh... I'm, not even, I'm not even sure really... Um, who's going to even be there, you know, to potentially, you know, be the guy that could beat him looking at the poster here. I mean, Jay White's going to be busy. Um, You know, I guess you can maybe make an argument for filthy, but he's already the strong champion. I I couldn't see Fred Rosser. I'd say no to Leo Rush. I'd say no to both good brothers. Um, What about Brody King? Yeah, but possibly, but then you've got a, a Ring of Honor guy who's not even really signed with New Japan and hasn't worked any extensive dates outside of the um, L.A. tapings, you know, kind of representing it. My feeling at this point was is with how how much they've built up his title reign, you kind of need to bring someone from Japan to beat him at resurgence. Um I'm not saying it's impossible, but right now I'm not thinking that he's dropping that belt. But if it was Archer and they're doing this big match on TV, if if some if there was some sort of situation that occurred that required a rematch between them, that is someone I could see beating him, especially since he's already held the belt. And, you know, that would be a nice crossover. Like, how do I put this? 
he's a guy with enough credibility to where if he beat Mox, it's not like it's uh, New Japan, like a New Japan guy beating an AEW guy. It's truly an AEW guy beating another AEW guy. But Archer's low enough on the totem pole to where like he's just a notch beneath where, where Mox is. So he could afford to eat the pinfall in New Japan when he fights whoever Ishii or you know what have you right um so i think he would he wouldn't be a bad transitional guy at all you know right and i think it would be you know once again generate some headlines get some good buzz for new japan you could have archer show up on strong you know get some more eyeballs over uh to that show as well so there are definitely options like that i'm, I'm gonna still try and be ahead and, and think the winner of tanahashi kenta is going to hop on a plane and face Mox at Resurgence. Oh, my God. If that happened... Well, okay, so if it was Kenta, they've already had the first match. Kenta's kind of more established in this market in, in certain respects. Um, where, Like, with the brand is what I mean. Like, he's already done a lot of shows for New Japan Strong and everything like that. So he's kind of embedded into that group as it is. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kenta were the guy to come back. Um, but if it was Tanahashi, I'm like, damn, I feel that'd be such a, bro, I would, I would lose (laughs) my mind, but I would also be like, well, why are you guys waiting so long to, uh, to, you know, it's, it's the curse of new Japan's booking, you know? Right. They have to wait until the match happens. They don't make announcements until, uh, the results of certain big shows occur. Right. I don't know. I mean. I, I don't know who could realistically beat um, Mox for that belt right now with how much they've built it up. Yeah, that's why I think it has to be somebody like Tanahashi. That's what I'm – well, yeah. But I do think that Archer's not a bad option if you want to transition from an AEW guy that's beatable, you know? Right, yeah. But, um, I mean, Evil is an option. Ew. I think – I'm just telling you who's <laughs> at the level. Um, I don't. I would. I don't even think. I don't think Great Okan is at the level. Uh, I don't think. Go, yeah, I think it'd be. I think Evil Tanahashi. Um, maybe Jeff Cobb. Mm. Yeah, I think Cobb uh, would be a great choice. Okada, mm. Kenta, Abushi. So there's like six guys there. Suzuki. I'd probably say no to Sonata. Yeah, no. I'd say no, I'd say no to Taichi, no to Kojima, maybe Naito. What about Saber? They were supposed to do that that Saber Mox program. Zack Saber is a guy. Yeah. So there's like about there are some names. It's just they don't have anything lined up currently that we can see on, you know, that's been alluded to, to where, you know, I have reason to think he's dropping the belt at Resurgence. You know. Right. But if, you know, if some, something happens where ZSJ and him lock it up there, maybe, you know, who yeah. knows? I like that idea you had. I like the Kenta Tanahashi match um, idea. But I, my, my general thinking right now is, you know, we'll watch AEW this week. That's going to be tomorrow night. Uh, that might be a big indication. Whatever happens at that show as to what's going to happen at um, Resurgence. Worst case scenario. Here's here's the thing that I would hate the most. 
Texas Deathmatch, good brothers get involved, fuck over both of them. Then we get a tag match between Archer and Mox against the good brothers in L.A. Mm, yeah. And I could see that happening. Yeah, that, that is the worst case scenario, but... We'll see what happens. We'll be all tuned in to Dynamite tomorrow. Uh, last question from Dom Honey 101 but I think we pretty much covered everything here. He says, thoughts on the upcoming IWGP US title match between John Moxley and Lance Archer in this upcoming episode of Dynamite. Is it possible that we see a new champion? Who will be the next challenger? So I think we kind of covered all of that. Unless you had any other thoughts us. there. Look at us. Being efficient. Well, since we're talking about uh, U.S. stuff, let's uh, stay in the U.S. and talk about NJPW Strong. So last Friday, we had the first round of the Tag Team Turbulence uh, Tournament. So four first-round matches on last week's Strong opened up with the return of the Good Brothers. First time uh, back in New Japan for quite some time. And they defeat the team of Clark Connors and TJP. Yeah, um, look at us being prognosticators. Just so accurate. We got all of our picks right. Starting off here, knowing that the Good Brothers were going to beat TJP and uh, Clark Connors. Right, and this has actually been a a long-term story that they've been telling with Clark Connors and TJP. These guys were tag team partners in the Super Junior Tag League, and then they started teaming on Strong, and we've noticed some miscommunication and kind of a little bit of an attitude from Connors. And then there was a miscommunication here at the end of this match, which costs them. Uh, TJP gets hit with the Magic Killer. One, two, three. Good Brothers advance to the second round of Tag Team Turbulence. Match was fine. I, I would go probably just sub three stars, honestly. It wasn't anything special, but... At the end there, like you mentioned, the miscommunication, um, I kind of thought that the way they worked that, there was nothing wrong with what was booked, but the way that they, it was kind of like a weird, truncated sort of finish. But um, I like the idea that they've been, like you mentioned, they've been teasing TJP and Clark Connors for some time now, and this is kind of the impetus for to kind of continue that rift and that feud. Uh, that's probably upcoming between them and, you know, kind of slots the good brothers into the next round. So, you know, good, good bit of storytelling, I suppose. Yeah. I could see Connors and TJP having a singles match at resurgence. Uh, I think that would be pretty good. And I thought it was very interesting that they, uh, they pin TJP instead of Clark Connors. So definitely sees they're kind of protecting the, the, you know, the dojo guys and really getting behind the push of Connors here. So I thought that was kind of good to see as well. Next match of the night, we had uh, Fred Yehai and Wheeler Utah take on Ren Narita and Yuji Nagata. And this was the match that, for me, was most anticipated and I thought also thought delivered the most. My yeah, match of the night. I freaking love this match, man. This was so snug, so hard-hitting, great wrestling. Dude, Fred Yehai, this guy has been on a, a roll as of late. Uh, he just won a title somewhere in another promotion. I forget which title he won. Uh, but this AAW? Guy, yes, that's right. The AAW uh, world title. Thanks. Um, I, did, I, I wasn't even sure if that was the case. I just know he's been very active there. Yeah, it was the AAW world title. He just recently won. Um, he's been on ROH, killing it in the Pure Division. Had a great match with uh, Ray. I think it was Ray Horace this past weekend. Yeah, I, I've been loving Yehai oh. on Strong. 
all Fred had to do was wait till everyone else that was flashier and, you know, more personable than him got signed up <laughs> and he was the last man standing because, you know, for better or for worse, he can wrestle better than about 95% of guys out there. <laughs> yeah. And, dude, I, I, I love the interactions between him and Nagata. Like, their stuff was just so snug and so slick. Like, after that match, I wanted a yay high Nagata singles match. Yeah, man. I mean, the, we we sing the praises of Strong on here all the time. And, you know, it's something I've mentioned is this year just seems to be the the year of the shooter. You know, the, the, the real workers, the guys that are believable badasses. And Freddie Ahai easily fits into that mold. Um, even Wheeler Utah, to a, a lesser extent, you know, he's kind of more of a junior guy, but he's so technically, you know, astute. Um, I really like this match, you know. Um I love the teaming of Yuji Nagata, the, you know, the old ace teaming up with, you know, the fresh upstart kind of reminds me of um, a very famous cl- uh, match from WCW. I forget. I think it's Super Brawl, but I could be wrong. But uh, Steiner Brothers against um, uh, freaking Fujinami and Iska, a young Iska. And at the time, Iska was like, you know, the like he was young, it was like 1991. So like, he's like the future and he's teaming up with the ACE, and, you know, and this kind of gave me some of those vibes, you know, just that, uh, generational gap between them. But everybody here worked super hard. Uh, you know, they didn't overstay their welcome and yeah, I mean this, this match was awesome. Yeah. I love this match. It went about three and a half. When you think that's a, you know, 11 minute, three and a half match for an empty arena. I think that's pretty good. Um, our boy, Ren Narita, he gets the win here with the Narita special number three, bridging suplex on Wheeler, Utah, and Ren Narita and Yuji Nagata advance into the second round where they will meet the good brothers. So then the... Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that's a match I'm uh, looking forward to, um, and I, I think it's an interesting bit of booking there too. Yeah. So then the third matchup here, semi-main event, we had the West Coast Wrecking Crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. They defeated the L.A. Dojo Young Lion team of Kevin Knight and the DKC, 7 minutes, 32 seconds. Yeah, short night for the uh, L.A. Dojo Young Lions. Good showing from them. Um, impressive showing from the West, Cro- West Coast Wrecking Crew once again. Um, they kind of came in with a little bit of momentum. Um this was good. I mean, th- this is what you come to expect when it comes to DKC and Kevin Knight. Those, you know, those guys really can work really well. And, you know, Nelson and uh, Isaacs, like, they fuck people up. Like, it's kind of great. And, yeah, I like this. Yeah, they have some great uh, double-team uh, combo moves. And, yeah, they pretty much, you know, it was somewhat competitive. But they, for the most part, they were in control and kind of ran through DKC and Kevin Knight here. They used their uh, Death Valley driver onto the knee combo here to pick up the win and move on to the next round. And then the main event, the match that was probably most in question, we had uh, a bit of a, um, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Uh, what's it What's it called when like two teams don't like a grudge match? A yeah. bit of a grudge match. A bit, a bit here of rivalry here. Yeah, rivalry with uh, Team Filthy's Danny Limelight and Jared Kratos taking on Violence Unlimited's Brody King and Chris Dickinson. And a lot of history here. 
Yeah, and also this is kind of one of the foundational feuds of this year of strong. You had Chris Dickinson uh, coming in as a part of Team Filthy with Limelight, Kratos, and Filthy Tom Lawler. And then, you know, Violence Unlimited formed in Ring of Honor and Dickinson joining up with Brody King, Homicide, and um, Tony Deppin. And we kind of saw the tension there, that being brought up on Strong, which then led to Dickinson getting the Strong title match against Lawler and kind of the feud there with uh, Brody King and his crew against Team uh, Filthy as well. So all that history, you know, Limelight being the one to low blow Dickinson and they, they threw Dickinson out, Team Filthy, all that kind of bubbled up and boiled over here into this matchup. Yeah, um, and this was one that was, uh, you know, lived up to its billing as the main event. I thought it was a fitting main event, grudge match, big boys, you know, big meaty men slapping me, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, these guys were very, very hard hitting. I mean, Chris Dickinson, this guy's just always uh, super intense and um, the work rate's always super high. Uh, I love Brody King, you know, bringing his energy and I was like kind of cheering on his teammate uh, throughout the match, bringing that energy with obviously still empty arena for only a few more weeks. But yeah, Brody bring that energy and uh, doing some great stuff there. And just to get, you know, when Brody and JR Kratos are in the ring, how they started off the match, just throwing lariats and picking up from their last singles match, and they were just kind of going at it, kind of a, a never-style opening to the match there. Yeah, the um, match continued on. The ending here, we saw a wheelbarrow German suplex for, uh, where they dumped uh, Chris Dickinson, and then um, Bray King took Jared Kratos outside for a big uh, tope. Limelight tried to go for a low blow against Dickinson, which was kind of the the big play up, play off of the feud between them since he had when they kicked him out of Team Filthy, that's sort of the move that he'd used to do that. Yeah. Dickinson blocked it, ended up waffling Limelight with a lariat, hits him with the German suplex. Then he gets a running Death Valley driver for the win. Really good match. Um and yeah, the Ring of Honor team gets the win here. Yeah, I would also go uh, three and a half on this matchup. So Violence Unlimited, they go into the second round. They'll face off the West Coast Wrecking Crew. So next week on Strong, it's the 50th episode of New Japan Strong. We will have Ren Narita and Nagata versus the Good Brothers. We'll have the West Coast Wrecking Crew versus Violence Unlimited. And then the main event will be for the Strong Openweight title Filthy Tom will defend against my man, Satoshi Kojima. Yeah, this is a great 50th 50th episode lineup. Um, And if you kind of look at the teams now, I know you can make arguments because obviously the wrestling world's a little more open than we've been accustomed to the past few years. But, I mean, if you think about it, you've got, you know, sitting at the top of the block, you've got essentially an impact slash AEW tag team. Then you've got a pure New Japan Pro Wrestling tag team f- facing off against them. And then on the other side of the bracket, you've got essentially an independent wrestling tag team taking on two guys signed to Ring of Honor. I mean, they've really kind of mismatched a lot of the the you know different flavors of various different uh, affiliations and groups here. Like, I love it. And then, obviously, everyone's excited for Lawler and Kojima. So, I mean, just an awesome lineup for the 50th episode. Yeah, man. So prediction time. Who you got going into the finals for tag team tournaments? Yeah, so it's been tough. Um, after watching this, and where's the finals going to take place? 
that is not announced. Um, I believe, uh, I would think maybe it happens at Resurgence. Yeah, that seems like it's a a, a strong possibility. Because um, I wasn't sure if it was going to continue till the next week. It, it, it could. They, they haven't been clear when, when it's right. happening. So uh, I, before I throw out my possibilities, let's just talk some scenarios here. Um, I think that there's a distinct possibility that Nagata and um, Narita could possibly win their side. But no matter what happens, I don't think that they're going to win the tag team turbulence either way. Right. Um, that would mean Nagata would have to come back to the U.S., well, she could, but well, I don't know. Well, it also means they could have taped if, – if it's not happening at Resurgence and it's happening – the finals are taking place the very next week. Since it's just a tournament, maybe he's already won it. Right, yeah. Um, But if it is you know, a live thing at Resurgence, then that would kind of be the big giveaway. Maybe that's why they haven't announced where the finals are taking place, you know? Right. Um. I would love the idea of Nagata and Narita winning the whole thing, but given how dominant throughout the year the Good Brothers have been and and their placement, I think they're probably going to the finals. Yeah, I, I would go with Good Brothers here as well. You know, they've done a lot to kind of hype up their return to New Japan. And you know, Anderson just had the U.S. title match. I feel like they're they're doing a lot with the Good Brothers, and so right. On the other side of things, you know, you've got the West Coast Wrecking Crew and Violence Unlimited. And for me, I would I would be really surprised if the West Coast Wrecking Crew picked up the win here. Um, if it ended up being Narita and Nagata in an upset role, then I could maybe potentially see... Nelson and Isaacs being head to head with them, but I'm going to favor violence unlimited here. Um, and I could actually see violence unlimited going up against either tag team on the other side in in a fitting final. So I, for that reason, I think it's going to end up being good brothers and violence unlimited in the finals. Yeah. If Narita and the guy did win, there is history between Narita and Dickinson that they could um, pull into that matchup. But yeah, I do think probably the quote unquote money match here would be the good brothers versus violence unlimited. So you, you end up with like an impact slash AEW ROH finals. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. But at the end of the day, the way that they're kind of marketing all this, these guys are all sort of becoming new Japan strong thing guys, which you know, we've talked about the nature of this show and how it's like this weird amalgamation of all these different groups and, you know, all that. Um, so I guess for now, we'll leave it at that. I, that's the finals we're both predicting. Um, let's talk about the main event here. Uh, you know, the world's strongest arm, strongest clothesline, the Western Lariat, Bread Club. Yeah, man. Satoshi Kojima. Bread Club and Summer, t- Summer of Cozy. Olds on top. Yes, this is, you know, 2021, and, Olds on top. <laughs> and he will be taking on the reigning, defending, undisputed, New Japan Pro Wrestling strong openweight champion, filthy Tom Waller. Man, you know, my, my heart wants to say that Kojima would win this. 
my, my brain is telling me that Filthy Tom will retain and walk into resurgence as a strong open weight champion. Yeah, this is an easy prediction for me. Uh, Filthy Tom Lawler is winning this, and uh, the big question is how good is the match, and what will that match even look like? And that's been the real curiosity factor for me is just how these two kind of align when it comes to a stylistic standpoint. That's really where the intrigue is. Plus, first-time matchup ever. And if you also think about the time that both of them have sort of spent in MLW, there's sort of that dream match aspect as well. Two former MLW champions, yeah. So that should be really cool. Um, I'm expecting great things from that match. Um, The big question for me at the end of the day isn't whether or not Filthy Tom Waller wins this. It's what happens after the match is over. Um, We've seen in the past where there have been challenges kind of laid out by the likes of Chris or uh, yeah, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson and um, Carl Fredericks and then Satoshi Kojima kind of following that trend. And we're not that far off from resurgence. So, you know, the status of the title at that point is sort of in question. I'm very, uh, I know on this show, of course we get questions all the time. Who's going to challenge next? What's next for the champion? And, you know, those questions are always valid, but I, I'm always just like, we don't know, you know. But in this situation with the big show coming up, we really don't know. So, I mean, what do you see on the horizon as, you know, a potential – you know, what's your prediction? What are you kind of guessing happens after that match is over? Uh, the one guy I feel like – could get the shot that have been building is uh, Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser. He won the big uh, uh, no DQ match with Hikaleo. He's kind of stood up against Team Filthy. You know, he's been buddying up with um, Adrian Quest, helping him fight off against Bateman and um, and Barrett Brown. And so I feel like he's been getting a lot of big wins. He's a guy that they've been pushing. I think he could be the next guy in line. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, is that what you would do if it was if you were doing this show? You know, I mean, at this point, the tickets are sold for the most right, part. You yeah. know, yeah. I mean, I mean, personally, that's not what I would book. Like from a personal standpoint, but I mean, if you look at booking, what they've done on TV, what they've done on the show, <laughs> they they have built Rosser as a credible guy. Um, so I, I think it makes a ton of sense to go with Rosser. Yeah, um, I can't really argue with you there. And once you mentioned his name, I could see that being being the case. Um, I just personally see him as more of a TV challenger, though. A big show like this, they're offering a fight and everything like that. Yeah, I'm just not sure if New Japan has a good enough grasp on the market and the reception of particular guys. I mean, it feels like this is another case where um, they've kind of gone in on Fred Rosser. And like I've mentioned, they've done a good job with him. Great job with him. And he's done a great job with himself, but I see him as more of a TV level challenger at this point. I, I don't think there's enough behind like juice behind it for me to like kind of invest in that as a match for a big show like this. But then again, it's probably going to be like third or second from the top, so maybe it's fine. I don't know. Yeah, and I think I might be wrong, but is it Rosser from California or from that er- around that area? 
Uh, he may be. I don't actually know the answer to that. Um, you know, and then there's the other fact that, like, Fred Rosser has, you know, worked WWE. And sometimes I feel like with New Japan, they see guys that have come from WWE and they kind of hold them to a higher regard, you know? Yeah, I remember um, Billy Gunn got a icy tile shot in, in L.A. <laughs> I was literally, that's exactly what I was thinking of specifically. And then, you know, we've seen them kind of uh, give like Mikey Nichols, like a, at, you know, especially when he first came in, like a lot of early opportunities. And I think a lot of that was built off the, the fact that he came from WWE, you know? Right. Um, but we'll see what happens. I mean, at the same time, it's hard for me to kind of argue against him not being the challenger just looking at the the layout within uh, New Japan Strong, there's n- there isn't really anyone else that's been built as a singles guy the same way he has, and he's definitely going to be on the show. He's on the poster, right? And so and Law that are, makes sense. And Law has already beaten Brody in the New Japan Cup Finals. He's already beaten Dickinson. He's beaten uh, Fredericks. He's gonna, he's probably going to beat Kojima here. So he's beating a lot of the top guys that they have on Strong. He's the one guy that's been built that he has not beaten yet. The other possibility is an outsider. Mm. You know, um, someone from New Japan or maybe AEW or maybe MLW or maybe, you know, Impact, Ring of Honor. There's a lot of potential options on the table but i think yeah you're probably right it probably will be fred roster and i think that's something to look out for this coming friday nice well let's uh head over to japan talk about what's going on over there so first we got to talk about the summer struggle uh, at cork and hall that happened this past weekend so show opened up with the bull club team of dick togo evil kenta and usual takahashi Defeating the team of Roshi Tanahashi, Tomohiro Ishii, Yota Suji, and Yuyamura. 12 minutes and 56 seconds. Uh, good opener here. Obviously, continuing the feuds between uh, Kenta and Tanahashi. Evil Ishii. This one getting very personal. Uh, these guys, you know, running, starting the match off, you know, kind of run to the ring and kind of brawling from the very get go. But in the end, it was the Bull Club team that got the win. So, yep. uh, second. Good opener. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not yeah, not too much to say there. I mean, obviously we're we're building to uh, Ishii versus Evil, and then Tanahashi against Kenta. So, um, I, you know, I'm always in favor of Ishii and Tanahashi tagging with one another. Um, one of those feuds sounds funner than the other one does, but we'll see how they both play out. Yep, and then we move on to second matchup. We had. Minoru Suzuki and the Dangerous Techers defeating the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. 13 minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, who who do you think has the better pecs? Seiya Sonata or Taichi? I don't know, man. That, that's a close one. But <laughs> I, think, I, I think I have to go Sonata. I think he's a little bit more ripped, a little bit more defined than Taichi. <laughs> yeah, they started off the match kind of uh, with a pose off, you know, flexing their pecs, letting the people know what's up. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then, and then when the match actually started, we started off um, with Naito and Saber, which has kind of been the whole story there of them kind of avoiding each other and 
you know, Saber really wants to, you know, get it to Naito now since Naito pinned him in the tag title match and then Naito tagged out quickly. And so we saw a lot of bantering and a lot of, you know, funny business between uh, Naito and Saber in this match. Yeah, I thought the idea of having uh, Taichi and ZSJ win with one of their combination finishers, great move, you know, on the road to a rematch between these two teams. And uh, it's hard for me to imagine that they don't end up having a better match in the Tokyo Dome than the one that they already had. Because um, while that match was great, just the prolonged nature of it, they're not going to need to do all of that. I feel like they can cut out some of the uh, the bone and just leave the meat for us, you know, in the Tokyo Dome. Right, and they will be a semi-main, so I don't think they're going to have to go 30 minutes. So it might be a shorter match, which could make it better as well. Uh, but... <sighs> Like you mentioned, uh, Danger Tickers, they hit the uh, Zach Mephisto here on Bushi to get the win. Next match, we had Rapungi 3K teaming up with uh, Chaos Stablemate Robbie Eagles to take on the uh, Suzuki-Gun team of El Desperado, Yoshinabu Kanemaru, and Doki. Yeah, so uh, Chaos Juniors versus Suzuki-Gun Juniors. It was uh, Eagles' first match in Japan since last December when he was there for the best of the Super Junior Tour, so... Back here, also getting ready to face off against Desperado at Wrestle Grand Slam in the Tokyo Dome. I uh, thought this was a good preview match. Um, a little bit high pace here but with these six juniors. And really made Robbie Eagles look good here. Hits the uh, the turbo pack, turbo backpack fall by the Ron Miller special on Doki to get the win. Yeah, this match was, um, you know, the cleanest match of the night. And it was really just an opportunity to kind of make Robbie Eagles in his return look like a viable uh, contender and challenger. Everybody got their stuff in, but he's the one that really, you know, shine uh, in this match. And some of the sequences that he had with Desperado, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a style matchup that we've seen them wrestle before, but it's not one where I'm like, oh, you know, begging to see the match. But based off what, what we saw in this um, match, the sequences they had, I think that I'm now starting to really look forward to this match between these two guys. Yeah, and I want to give a shout out to Doki because he he did have me biting on a near fall. He hit the uh, the day break DT on Eagles, and I I know he wasn't gonna win, but like it was like Eagles could tell like two point nine, and I I think Daybreak is like one of his secondary finishers, so I, I thought he was gonna get an upset win for a second there. Yeah, and um, this uh, undercard of uh, the three matches on the undercard. You know, while on paper it just looks like your standard bro two show, I mean, you know, we got pretty varied stuff. You know, the opening contest, you know, very hate filled, a lot of cheating, everything like that. And then the second match of the night, you know, a lot of comedy. And then it, the third match of the night with the juniors, you know, started with a clean type. So, you know, you kind of got a lot of variety between the different matches on the show. A lot of good wrestling, too. Yeah. So then we uh, move on to the semi-main event, first of two singles matches that will be building up the upcoming junior tag title match. So we had Risuke Taguchi taking on the Bone Soldier Taiji Ishimori. And uh, Ishimori coming into this match, he's won all three prior singles meetings against Taguchi. Yeah, this was uh, Rizuki Taguchi's first singles match since December of 2020. So, you know, not only is the man coming in you know, off of a losing record um, all time to Ishimori, but he hasn't even wrestled anybody of note since December. Not just New Japan, anywhere. 
<laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, I definitely feel like he's had like a, a wider schedule this far this year. I feel like he's missed a few tours. Uh, but yeah, I thought he looked good in this match here. Uh, he targeted the leg of uh, Ishimori. His card set up the uh, oh my great ankle ankle lock. And then of course with Taguchi, we had a lot of uh, you know backside based offense and uh, Taguchi targeting the backside of uh, or excuse me Ishimori targeting the backside of Taguchi. Yeah, I mean it's what we've come to learn when it comes to Taguchi. Um, when called upon to have a good match, he's still more than capable of it. Um, and Ishimori is one of the best in the world. Uh, all the all the uh, previous matches that they've had, I've always found to be pretty enjoyable. This one included. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you it was like a match of the year contender or anything, but uh, by you know of that nature, it wasn't. But the match was pretty exciting. Both guys able to go toe to toe with one another, you know, um, stride for stride. But the, the big thing with Taguchi, he's always kind of a wild card when it comes to Ishimori just because he's so unpredictable and the, uh, the comedy, you know, and the unexpected uh, aspects of his offense are kind of what uh, really played a role here. And then aside from that, the submissions, which were a big part of the story in this match. Yeah, also setting up, you know, Taguchi going for the ankle lock and Ishimori going for either the yes lock or the, the bone lock. And so trying to set that up. And then uh, in the end here, Ishimori gets the win uh, with a handful of tights. Uh, rolls through uh, a, a counter reversal of the Dodon. Handful of tights. One, two, three. Taguchi uh, gets the win. Yeah, I was going to say, you said Ishimori got the win. I was like, no, uh, Ishimori didn't win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, excuse me. Yeah, it was Taguchi that uh, got the win. With the, uh, yeah. Uh, Taguchi went for the Dodon. Ishimori countered that into a sunset flip and Taguchi, you know, was holding Taguchi down for a pin and he was pulling the tights and the momentum just kind of continued through to where uh, Taguchi's entire bare ass was exposed and right. that man literally sat on Ishimori's face for the one, two, three, um, which was, you know, I don't know. Shoot, pretty shoot, re- shoot stink face. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? And then uh, Red Shoes was trying to, like, you know, cover up Taguchi. Uh, and then after the match, Taguchi was trying to give him another stink face. And then we get the Heyman special. ELP comes down. He runs out to uh, break up the stink face. And he's attacking uh, Taguchi two-on-one. And then Rocky Romero comes out, fights him off, hits a big tope con Hilo, smashes into the, the, the guardrails. And we get the match starting our main event, ELP versus Rocky Romero. Uh, ELP has got a 2-1 lead um, in a series between these guys here. But also kind of the, the most notable match at 2019, best of the Super Junior matchup, uh, which was also a Corkin main event. Yeah, um, with the fact that these tag team members are going to be facing off in reverse roles uh, in the upcoming shows, um, we shouldn't have been surprised that they kind of did this uh, transitional segment, especially since when we've had junior tag team singles matches back to back like this, they seem to do it every single time. And I always seem to forget that they've done it in the past. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, they've done this like multiple times at this point. So we could, we kind of should have seen it coming. Yeah. And a really good match here. Uh, ELP, you know, working the Dermis Destroyer, scratching the back of Rocky. He's also working over 
uh, the the arm of Rocky, you know, several times looking for the CR2. Rocky with a lot of great uh, counters there. Uh, Rocky also trying to work over the arm for the, the arm bar. That was a big spot. The arm bar is what tapped out uh, ELP in uh, the 2019 Best Super Junior uh, main event. So he was looking for that as well. Um, but the main thing here beyond all that is Rocky's mission to expose the uh, sudden impact. Yeah. The, yeah. The sudden death, uh super kick from uh, sudden death. Yeah. I forget what it's called <laughs> <laughs> uh, from uh, ELP. So yeah, definitely going after the boot. there, trying to expose that there's something inside the boot of ELP. Uh, and this thing, it, it went uh, 30 minutes. We got a 30 minute draw here. Uh, in the closing stretch, Taguchi came up with the, the with the white towel. He was going to get ready to throw the towel. He did throw a towel in, but uh, ELP caught it, threw it out the way, uh, hit the super kick, but uh, he didn't quite hit him in the right spot, and time expired. Yeah, um, I thought that these guys had a very good match. I wouldn't call it great. Uh, I don't think it reached the lofty levels of several of their previous encounters, but um, it was a nice addition to the ongoing rivalry between Rocky Romero and ELP. It's nice to see a serious wrestler, single star Rocky Romero, because, I mean, we've kind of gotten a lot of that this past year in MLW and AEW and New Japan Strong, but it's kind of rare to to be seeing that in New Japan proper unless it's like a, a... Super Juniors tournament. Um, so that was kind of nice. And they did a great job playing off of all the previous iterations of sequences that they've had in, in the feud thus far, you know? Yeah, I thought it was a really good match. I think it would definitely would have benefited with a hot Corkin crowd, but we did have a sellout here for Corkin for this show. Uh, first packed Corkin uh, in a but while. But it was like 600 some some odd, right? Yeah. 684. So it's like they must be running like a really limited arrangement. Yeah, but I feel like it was, it's definitely one of the fuller houses we've had in a while. They didn't have like the black tarp thing up. And so. Right. Uh, so yeah, good, good house for pandemic standards. And uh, I wish they could have just been vocal because I think they would have been into this uh, matchup here with reactions. Yeah. Um, this match went the full 30 minutes and um, you know, we've kind of talked in the past about how new Japan seems to be plagued with 30 minute, uh, you know, main events. And obviously when it's a title match, you know, they get the full 60. So when they're going 30 and 30 plus, you know, there's no threat of a time limit draw, but we've seen a couple times uh, this past year where they had multi-man tag team matches in the main event of Cork and Halls that went the full 30. So with this one, um, once it got to like that three minute call and they started, you know, three minutes, it was like, Oh shit, they might be going to, you know, a draw. And I feel like since they've done a few of them in Corkin, a kind of, I don't know, it's double edged on the one hand, you kind of feel like it might happen. And since you've seen it happen, you're almost a little disappointed that it's going to happen that way. But then on the other, on the other hand, it it really adds to the drama because they have done it and you know, it is a possibility and you don't know for sure if it's going to happen or not, or whether someone's going to pull it out at the, you know, at the end of there. So, uh, 
you know, a little bit of a conundrum with the drama, you know, sort of at the end there. Yeah. Uh, Post match here, uh, ELP goes to uh, hit, try hit a sudden death on, uh, I think he's trying to hit it on Rocky again, but then uh, Taguchi comes out, makes a save, and uh, cuts a uh, promo on these guys post match. So I'll see, probably saying they're going to win the junior tag title, something like that, for uh, Wrestle Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, one of the things, this match didn't. You know the, the 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 setup to the match with uh, the run the run ins and everything, and then the match itself didn't necessarily make me um, excited for the next set of singles matches between these guys. But it did add to the nature of the junior tag team title match that's upcoming, which I think is the the whole point here. And one of the things like the mega coaches, while they are an established tag team, they're a very, very much an infrequent tag team. Right. We haven't, you know, we've only seen them when they're basically doing big title matches and things like that. And it's, you know, few and far between. So to kind of see them interacting, bonding and, you know, striving together sort of adds to the allure of, you know, what they are as a team and everything like that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. The ending of the match was really interesting where, ELP was trying to hit the sudden death and then um, Taguchi came out through in the, through the towel. And I was like, is he giving up for Rocky? But yeah. it was, it seemed more like a distractionary tactic at that point. Yeah. Kind of like he knew that ELP would try and stop him from throwing a towel in that would buy Rocky some more time. Yeah. Um, one thing when there was a point where ELP did the Styles Clash instead of the CR2. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a great spot because yeah, he was going for CR2. Rocky was going to reverse it into a Rana, and then he caught, he stopped the Rana and hit the Styles Clash. Yeah, but once the fo- the follow-up came after that, and he's just moving at the slowest pace any human has ever moved, I was like, <laughs> oh, they're, they're, they're going to the time limit draw. Like, this is it. <laughs> yeah, but to me, this match didn't even feel like it was 30 minutes. I, I kind of got, like, thrown off when it was like, Three minutes. I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of thought that the the finish was a little bit, I don't know, just kind of like combobulated. Like, y- yeah, you had Taguchi running out and the towel and then the timer and everything like that. Like, I don't know, it just it, it felt a little um, flat for me. I don't yeah, know. it was a little flat, a little clunky. I wish they would have gone a more traditional route, just having these guys kind of hitting a bunch of reversals of their finish. And then maybe you have, like, ELP hit the sudden death, like, the, the last second. Not even get the pinfall, but hit it, like, perfectly, and then time expires. Yeah, it's like they were trying to do too much all at the same time um, was kind of the problem. You know, you've got the, the issue where the coaches are trying to figure out, uh, you know, ELP's boot situation and kind of bringing everyone's focus and attention to that. But then you're also trying to do the time limit draw, you know, um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that wraps up the summer struggle that happened at Cork and Hall this past weekend. Now, young boy, we have one, two, three, four big shows happening this week that we have to preview and give predictions for. So first on the docket, we have summer struggle in Osaka. Night one is happening on Thursday, 4 a.m. Eastern time. Show's going to open up with Chaos, Robbie Eagle, Show and Yo taking on Sugun of Doki Despi and Kanamaru. 
Then we'll have Ishii Yoshihashi taking on Tanahashi, or excuse me, Ishii Yoshihashi and Tanahashi taking on the Bullet Club team of Evil, Kenta, and Yujiro. I was going to say, Tanahashi's <laughs> great, but he's not that great. Tanahashi joined the Bullet Club. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then we'll have uh, Goto and Okada taking on the great Okan, Jeff Cobb. Then Kota Ibushi will team with Master Wato to take on Bushi and Shingo. And then the two big matches here, semi-main event, we'll have Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata. And the main event, Taichi versus Tetsuya Naito. So I guess we just need to get predictions for the big matches here. So who you got for Sabre and Sonata and Taichi and Naito? Uh, I got Sabre over Sonata and then Naito over Taichi, I guess. Yeah, that probably seems to be the thing that makes the most sense, especially since Sabre was the one that got pinned in the tag match. You might want to give, you know, rebuild him and his hunt to try and get Naito. And since he is going, he's facing Naito in the main event the following night, probably it makes sense to have him going in with a win. I just picked who I like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The next night, Summer Struggle in Osaka Night 2, we've got the cast team of Goto and Rocky Romero. And uh, Taguchi teaming up to take on the Bull Club team of Phantasmo, Jado, and Taichi Shimori. After that, chaos tag team action as Ishii and Yano team up with Hiroshi Tanahashi to battle the Bull Club team of Evil, Kenta, Yujiro, Takahashi. Third match of the night, chaos team of Okada and Yoshihashi will tag team against the United Empire, Great Okan, and Jeff Cobb. Um, fourth match of the night, uh, Kota Ibushi and Master Wato will tag team to take on Bushi and Shingo Takagi. And then the top two matches, the semi-main event is Taichi against Nada. The main event is Naito against Zack Sabre Jr. So Okay, so I've been misunderstanding. I've been talking this whole time like the coaches were going to take on the Bull Club team in singles action again, huh? Yeah, no, yeah that's, not, that's not happening, at least not on anything televised. Yeah, I was confusing that with this feud so the whole time i'm thinking like that they're gonna do exactly what we've just described here with uh dangerous techers and lij that's my bad (laughs) gotcha i just thought you were talking about like down a lot like even future matches i thought you meant like no (laughs) like i thought that was next on on the docket i was like looking at these cards i'm like so when's that happen (laughs) uh but yeah rematch well not rematch but you know uh flip-flop here with the techers tai chi and sonata naito and saber uh, for the main event, I'll, I'll go with Saber getting the win back on Naito. Uh, Semi main event, I, I feel like it can go either way, but uh, if Naito's losing, I'm gonna go with Sonata winning. That seems fine. I don't know. Who knows what's gonna happen here? Maybe we'll get a 30 minute time limit draw in the main event. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Well, then moving on to uh, the third big show of this week, coming up on Saturday, 4 a.m. Eastern Time, Summer Struggle in Nagoya. We'll have, once again, Eagle, Show and Yo taking on Doki, Despi, and Kanamaru. We'll have Rocky Romero, uh, Tomiyori Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Gucci taking on the Bull Club, ELP, Jado, Ishimori, and Yujiro. We'll have Okada and Toriyano taking on Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, Abushi and Wato against Bushi and Shingo. And then in the semi-main event, we'll have Tomohiro Ishii versus Evil. And then in the main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenta. Yeah, this is, um, you know, a little bit of a bigger night in a certain sense, just because this is the payoff to two of the big singles feuds that they've been building up here. And um, 
Looking forward to both matches. I think the main event, in my estimation, should be better than Ishii and Evil. But it's hard to say because Ishii, it is Ishii, and he's been known to, you know, pull greatness out of multiple people, especially Evil. And every once in a while, Evil will put in a vintage performance. But at the same time, I, I don't think we've seen too much of that from him since he turned to the dark side and became a Bull Club member. So... I don't really know what to expect here. Um, I'm, I'm guessing bullshit and shenanigans, as is per custom for him. Yeah, uh, I mean, but I think if they can keep shenanigans down to a minimum, we could, we could have a good matchup here. I mean, we've seen Ishii against Bull Club leaders like Jay White, where there's a lot of ref bumps and you know Gato running in. So uh, he's made it work. So I think if we can keep keep the bumps down to a minimum, keep Dick Togo out as much as possible, we, we could get something good here. I guess if that's the best we could possibly hope for in a situation like this is keep it to a minimum, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. that's, that's the best we're hoping for. But uh, at the end of the day, I think evil's picking up the win here. He desperately needs it. And that's what I'm expecting. Yeah. E- evil winning makes the most sense here. And then you could potentially have him go into some kind of title picture uh, out of this match. After that, we have the main event, Hiroshi Tanahashi against Kenta. And this is a, a pick match at this point. Um, I There's a part of me that feels like this could be an all-BC night. But then I'm like, do I really want to discount the ace, you know? And it feels like, what's next on the docket? I'm guessing probably the G1. Yeah, that's the next kind of big thing on the horizon. You know, what are you thinking here? So, like I was saying earlier, like to me, I feel like this could end up being like the, a de facto U.S. title number one contendership match, um, and with Tanahashi being featured on the Resurgence commercials, but not officially announced, I think that might have been like a little breadcrumb that Tanahashi is going to be on the show. So, I'm going to go with Tanahashi beating Kenta here to then go to face John Moxley in Resurgence. Well, um, I would love if that ends up being the case. Um, something tells me if Tanahashi ends up on the show, they might need to, uh, you know, that venue, they're close to sold out, not quite, but they can actually expand the seating chart if need be. And something tells me that if Tanahashi's announced, that might be the case. But, you know, we kind of saw even when new Japan was a little bit of a hotter product here in this, uh, in, in the States, we saw them struggle to really sell, you know, what did they do in, in, uh, Dallas a couple years ago? Was it like six, 7,000, something like that? Yeah. Something like that, which, which is significant. That's not a bad number, but you know, for in, what that, in that building, building, yeah, in that building, what it holds and what they were, I think they were, uh, situated for more like a 10,000 ish, type of arrangement um you know him and okada on top kind of struggled to produce that kind i guess what i'm really getting at is mox against tanahashi sounds like a a a huge first time main event and i'm wondering like is that something that's going to boost ticket sales to some extent i think it will uh how much i'm not sure i'm also wondering if maybe they would be throwing that match away by giving it away there as opposed to if you did have Kenta come back and he's the challenger, that is a match we that we've already seen draw. 
but it's all, you're also not burning it because it's already happened. And he could be a very viable, you know, next champion if he were to be the guy to, to beat Moxley. So hard for me to say at this point. Um, but that, that little Easter egg you mentioned, and I forgot about it till you brought it up in the air. I heard about it. But, yeah, the fact that he's featured in the commercial and they haven't officially announced him, that might be the, the little bit of a tell. So, you know, I'm going to ride with you. I'm going to go with, I'm gonna go for the ace. He's, he's one of my all-time favorites. But uh, I won't be surprised if it's all BC that night. Yeah, I mean, this, yeah, this is a match, like you said, as a pick This match could go either way. I feel like both guys need a big win. They've kind of been on the back burner and kind of uh, floundering since both of their uh, failed title matches, since, you know, Tanahashi lost the never title to Jay, and since Kenta lost, failed to get the U.S. title from Moxley, they've both kind of just been, you know, in the mid-card or upper-card, just kind of in random matches, nothing, no programs, really. Well, um... We will see what happens, but uh, let's move on to the big show. Wrestle Grand Slam in the Tokyo Dome on July 25th, this coming Saturday. We have, for the first time since it seems like forever, at least the mid-2000s, a Tokyo Dome show not on January 4th for New Japan. And we're going to open the show up with the pre-show New Japan Rambo with handcuffs for the provisional KOPW 2021 trophy. Toriyano will defend the provisional championship in the Rambo match where handcuffs will be legal. Eliminations in the Rambo can be can take place by pinfall, submission, DQ, being thrown over the top rope, or being handcuffed to the ropes or the ringside area. Handcuffs won by a margin of 12,100 votes. That's 76.3% to the 23% for whatever the whatever the other one was. I don't remember. Uh, the blindfolds. Yeah, I was worried about the blindfolds because I was like, are they going to get blindfolded and then tossed over the top rope? I got to assume that whatever blindfolds they use are always gimmicked and you can actually see through them, hopefully. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would think so, yeah. <laughs> but uh, who knows? So, or they could be strong-style blindfold. <laughs> yeah, you got to make it real, you know? Uh, yeah, so we got the handcuffs. That's probably the better option of the two. Um, I don't. I don't give a fuck about this match. Yeah, but it's gonna be whatever. Yano's gonna win. So it used to be about the, you know, being for the pride of the Rambo itself. Now it's about this, you know, Toriano Trophy. Like I don't, I don't, I don't and handcuffs. What what's that about? I don't. I don't want handcuffs. This you sounds know? like some Togoism. I want Kabuki to come down to the ring and chop people, you know, and get pinned. I want. You know Scott Norton to come down. I want cheeseburger. Okay, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want. I don't know what this is. Yeah, it's not it's not my Rambo. Well, you know it, it's on the pre-show, and so you know it, it can do it. It can exist in its own little world. Um, and then the the main show will kick off with the IWGP Junior Tag Team Title Match as El Fantasmo and Taiji no, Shimori. Uh, no uh, predictions there. I, I said Toriano was going to win. Yeah, I agree. My bad. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, but yeah, ELP and Taiji will defend the titles against our good friend Rocky Romero and Reese Gutiérrez, the Mega Coaches. Yeah, um, I think this one's pretty obvious. What's going to happen here? Um, they've been avoiding it like the plague. El Fantasma is going to hit the sudden death on Rocky Romero and dash their dreams of tag team gold. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, Megan Coach is never really, you know, winning a title or not kind of having a few big matches. And so part of me is thinking maybe you switch the belts, but then I'm thinking, you know, Rocky eventually has to go back to L.A. Um, do you want to put junior tag titles on him and wait till he comes back to do something with it? So, uh, yeah, Bull Club, ELP, and Taiji retaining here is probably the most logistical uh, answer here. I think all that makes sense, but I think the payoff – for the match itself is the sudden death. That's, you know, that's the main impetus for the feud. They want to expose it to the world. Maybe they do expose. Now, if they do expose it, that might be a different deal altogether. Um, I wouldn't get rid of the gimmick. The thing is, is if they expose it, the gimmick's kind of donezo, you know? Right. Um, but I think the thing is, they're going to be focusing in on that. I think he's eventually going to hit Rocky with it, and that's going to be it. What if they like they do get the boot off of ELP? There's nothing there, but Taiji has a sudden death loaded in his boot, and he hits them with it, and, win, and they win that way. How? Well, yeah. Then the question is, well, how, how would we know? You know? Right. Well, Taiji can do the same kind of you know stomp motion, load yeah, 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 load up, and then. I guess, but then he's kind of uh, infringing on ELP's gimmick. I don't know. It's <laughs> well, a possibility. Yeah. I, I think the simplest thing here is ELP, he's going to hit Rocky with that boot, and he's going to put him to sleep. I think that's what's happening. Yeah, probably the, the most easiest way to, to get the win there. After that, we've got continued junior action as the IWGP junior heavyweight champion, El Desperado, defends the title against the number one contender, Robbie Eagles. So yeah, this should be a pretty good matchup. These guys had a good matchup in the Best of the Super Junior at the end of last year. The, the preview matches have been looking good as well. Um, I, I think Despy is going to retain here. I think it makes the most sense to keep the belt on Despy until you can do the Hiromu rematch. And you, you got the big... Uh, dome shows coming up in September, uh, the, the other Wrestle Grand Slam shows, and so you need some big matches. So I, I think Despy and Hiromu could be a big match for one of those shows. Yeah, I agree with what you said there. I also don't feel as though New Japan has uh, full confidence in Robbie Eagles as the junior champion at this time. Uh, it's not to say that he's not favored. Clearly, they like him. They keep bringing him back. But... Um, Based off how he was booked in that last Super Juniors, it kind of told me what I needed to know about where he stood within the company. And, you know, I think the main reason he's getting this title opportunity is just the lack of challengers and the fact that he's kind of been on the burner uh, for most of the year. And the opportunity kind of arose, and he's the one guy that, you know, can go out there and put on a really great show and hasn't been overexposed or, you know, anything like that. So, um, I think the match is going to be great. I think Desperado retains. I think this will do a lot for Robbie Eagles if they go out there and they have a great match. And I don't get me wrong when I say that he's not going to win the title here. That doesn't mean he won't ever win the title. I'm not saying that. I just don't think right now, as it stands in July 2021, that the company has intentions to put that strap on him right now. Right, and you made you made a good point of you know looking back to how, how he was booked in best of super juniors he's in a lot of mid-card matches not a lot of main events got a lot of you know 10 to 12 minute matches 
Um, it was booked like 500. Yeah. Well, the whole tournament. Yeah. 50, 50, probably. I think got like, you know, eight points, whatever the mid points was for that tournament, you know, wasn't a high scorer. So typically a guy, you know, you look back to guys like Will Ospreay who got the junior title pretty quickly. You know, he was booked, you know, favorably in some of the special super juniors before he won the title. Well, Robbie Eagles had good scores in super juniors tournaments in the past, but this past one was a little surprising to me where he had very, few, like you mentioned, you know, 50-50, very few main events. So Viking Payne asked us, Robbie Eagles not being in New Japan for over a year, but waiting for the Tokyo Dome to issue his challenge has to make him one of the smartest men in wrestling kayfabe-wise, right? Well, I think Robbie pays attention to the product. He knows in New Japan, you know, there are no you know rankings. It's not AEW, no ranking, no stats. You just come out there and you challenge somebody and you get a title match. Yeah, you come out and you say, I got next. <laughs> You know, when I was in college, we had a ping pong table in, in one of the student centers. And, like, I spent many an hours, um, you know, playing there. You know, it wasn't based on rankings. It wasn't based on, you know, wins and losses. It was, <laughs> you know, if you win, you're on the table. And then someone walks in, they're like, I got next. And they're like, all right, you're next in line. And then there's, like, five guys ahead of you. You got to wait till they all got their asses whooped. <laughs> you know, and then it was your turn. And that's just kind of how it worked. And that's, I think that's, I think most of New Japan is run on dibs. Um, the IWGP seems to be a very hands-off group. They don't interfere a lot. They don't really even have a Jack Tunney to, you know, order title matches or anything. You know, they kind of operate in the shadows. And I think they let the inmates run the asylum a little bit. Yeah, they don't want to get their hands dirty. Let the guys kind of figure it out. They'll make the matches and just let them do their thing. Now, the Never Committee, that's a different story. They've been phenomenal. Okay, look at what they've been all, – all, all the sanctioned matches that they've done this year with the six-man tags, like, God. Yeah, they're, they're, they're on a roll. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next match of the night is third from the top, Kazushiko Okada in a Tokyo Dome, third from the top. That's a little surprising. He'll be a special singles match against Jeff Cobb. Yeah, it's always weird seeing Okada not in a title match. It's weird seeing him not in a title match in the Dome. It's going to be weird seeing him in third from the top in the Dome. But this should be an excellent match between him and Jeff Cobb. Like we talked about with Cobb. Cobb has just been on a roll, turning heel, being a part of the United Empire. He's been having some great matches. Um, you know, this year alone, you, you look at the Shingo match at the beginning of the year. You look at the Ibushi match just happened. Uh, about a month or so ago, and this guy's just kind of been on fire. Him and Ocon have been a great team. Um, United Empire's picked up a lot of steam this year, and so I feel it's going to be a breakout moment for Cobb, and, you know, Cobb's like a great dance partner to have. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an old adage that I've had on the show. You don't bet against the ace in the dome. Um, that hasn't always played out quite that way, but for the most part, you really don't. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, now here's the thing. For me, I could see some title changes taking place on the show, but for the most part, I'm pretty much predicting, in all likelihood, most of, if not all, the titles being retained, uh, which is a little surprising. Cause, you know, a Tokyo Dome show is the type of show where you see a lot of title challenges take place. So it does make me a little remiss in in my predictions 
Now, this title, this match in particular, is not a title match, but it it is one that makes me kind of wonder. Even though a title's not on the line, is there a chance that we could see Jeff Cobb pick up the biggest win of his career in defeating Kazushika Okada? They've fought before um, in the G1, and Jeff Cobb's never defeated Okada. But, um, you know, it's a different guy. He's kind of on a tear right now. Um, I'm going to say no. Okada, you know, wins. But going into the G1... Okada, you know, eating a loss to Jeff Cobb, that would do a lot for Cobb, and it would also kind of give a add to that redemption arc for Okada heading into the G1 this year. So there's a part of me that kind of sees the upside in maybe having Jeff Cobb win here, but um, I don't know. I, I, I It's just hard for me to ever bet against Okada in this company. Yeah, and uh, let's play into a question down home. We want to ask how possible is it to see Jeff Cobb upset Okada and then challenge the winner of the main event? Um, and so we, we do have those two Russell Grand Slam shows before uh, G1. Um, so you need some big matches there. I mean, they, they could do a, a Cobb-Shingo match. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the, the biggest strong match to do there. I think uh, a Shingo-Okada rematch in, in, the, in those, one of those shows probably makes the most sense. So from that standpoint, I could see Okada winning here and getting his rematch with Shingo. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I do think there's a small chance. That's, a, that's assuming Shingo retains. I mean, right? Because Ibushi's former world champion too. Yeah, and you could, you know, Okada Ibushi's a big money match. You could, you could run that as well. Uh, but I, I think there's a slim chance. But uh, I think Okada's going to win. But like you mentioned, you know, G1 too is right after those other Wrestle Grand Slam shows. So Okada could get the win back on Cobb in the G1, or you could have Cobb get the win back in the G1. Um, semi-main event, we've got the LIJ team of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito, the reigning IWGP tag team champions, heavyweight tag team champions, defending the titles against the former champions, the Dangerous Techers, Taiji and Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, this has been a pretty good feud. The last title match uh, was a great main event. And so I think we'll get another great main, a great semi-main event here. Like we mentioned, semi-main event is probably not going to be as long. And these guys, they, they don't need to really feel each other out that much. I think they can get right to it. And so I think this match will probably end up being better than the first. Um, I, I'm going to go with uh, Dangerous Techers getting the titles back here. Yeah, this is one of the, the the titles could switch hands. That would be a pretty short reign for Sonata and Naito, but you know they they were recently really playing off the idea that Dangerous Techers were saving this tag team division. They were going to have a long lengthy reign. They were even challenging outside teams to come you know face them. Um, so I don't know if perhaps they continue with that once this match is over. Um, that's a possibility, but I also, on the flip side, like with Sonata and Naito as champions, once the borders kind of open up a little bit more, I mean, there's so many, you know, tag team matches that have not happened in the past with them. Right. That are kind of on the docket. Um, I honestly think it's just a little bit too, too much of a a short term thing to, to do the switch here. So I'm going to have Sonata and Naito retain. And I'm kind of going to have the Dangerous Techers split off and focus on singles for the time being until, like, say, World Tag League uh, 
you know, resumes, that's when I think things pick up, pick back up for them as a unit. Um, so yeah, I, I see Naito and Sonata heading into a G1 as tag team champions this time. Which would be, I think, uh, the most interesting booking decision. And then, you know, their G1 matches, you pay attention who beats them. That could set up some future tag team title matches. So that, that I, I think I, I want those guys to win. But for some reason, I just feel like they're going to put the belts back quickly here and give a dangerous T the, the belts back. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, normally during a Tokyo Dome show, like I mentioned, I would usually uh, – you know, predict many of these titles changing, maybe even possibly all of them. But this this year just feels different to me. And for that reason, I've got almost all the champions retaining. And I think I'm going to continue that heading into the main event, which is the IWGP World Heavyweight title, Shingo Takagi defending the belt against the Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. Yeah, this should be a great main event. I guess I should say if it happens, so... Yeah, we don't even know if it's happening. Uh, for the third time in a 10-day stretch, uh, Kota Ibushi was pulled from a New Japan event. It was announced on Friday that he was going to be off the the Monday house show that they did for Summer Struggle due to illness. Um, and it's announcement in New Japan noted that Ibushi took a PCR test, which came back negative for COVID-19. Uh, previously, New Japan cited side effects from his uh, first vaccination shot for the reasons why he was pulled from Summer Struggle um, in Sapporo. Last time he wrestled was July 2nd on the July 2nd Katsuna Road event. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we don't really know the ins and outs and the severity of the, uh, you know, the symptoms that he's kind of facing. But for whatever it is, it's uh, severe enough to where he hasn't been able to wrestle uh, these past few times. And we don't, hopefully, it doesn't continue to persist. But if it does, there's a possibility that this match doesn't even happen. Yeah, which would be uh, not great at all. And just prove more that this world title is cursed and snake bin. Um, and we did have a lot of questions kind of revolving, you know, what happens if Bushi's not there? Um, Hawaiian Punch VB says if Kota Bushi is still tick, still sick. Uh, what would your backup plan be? Rampone Slam Pigs is on one hand, Kota Ibushi has missed multiple shows following his vaccination. On the other, he is a 5G wireless hotspot now, so it all kind of works out. Is he, if he's unable to perform at the Tokyo Dome, who takes his spot in the main event? Uh, Dom Homie 101 says, what would be the backup plan if Ibushi is unable to wrestle at the Wrestle Grand Slam in Tokyo Dome? Who would be the replacement opponent to take on Shingo? <laughs> I literally don't know. I mean... I, I, do you have any ideas? Because I don't even have any. They're, it feels like they're wrestling with the skeleton crew. Right. Well, I guess the one good thing about this uh, kind of being a spread out tour, you know, you look back at the previous cars, we got guys like Ishii and Evil and Tanahashi and Kenta that are, are being featured on those summer struggle shows that are not on the dome. So Yeah, I didn't think of that. Uh, maybe, you know, that that Tanahashi-Kenta match, maybe instead of that being a U.S. number one contender, that's a the winner of the place is a Bushi contender, and, and you get Chingo versus Tanahashi or Shingo versus Kenta. Yeah, but you know what the other possibility is. Shingo versus Evil. Yep. Um, I would I would like to think if uh, Bushi's not able to go, 
that the winner of that Kenta Tanahashi match would be the de facto number one contender. And that wouldn't be a bad, I think that both those options would be viable and, and entertaining. Um, so that that's on, you know, that's on, on the docket, but, uh, I I just kind of know there's a possibility they do evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially since they don't need to sell any more tickets. The tickets are already sold. So it's right. You know. There's some history there of, uh, you know, LIJ and evil's betrayal there. And yeah. So hard to say, um, but those are the, those are your likely scenarios. Yeah. For personally me again, I, I would go with Tanahashi. You, you get the rematch from their epic, uh, never title match that happened at the new beginning earlier this year. It's a guy that Chingo can beat, uh, and have a great match. Great main events. Tanahashi in the dome in the main event. Um, I, I, that, that would be the way I would go. You know, the other thing too, um, you kind of mentioned the winner of that, um, Tanahashi Kenta match facing John Moxley, right? Right. Well, I mean, we've already kind of outlined on this show how, like, it, very often it it comes down to star power and name recognition. Like, hypothetically, I could see a scenario where Kenta wins the match, especially if if like we're days out and they don't think Ibushi's gonna be able to wrestle. Right? Kenta wins the match, earning himself the title shot against Shingo, but then Tanahashi just challenges Mox anyways. Right. Yeah. We've seen people lose up all the time. Yeah. He doesn't have to win anything to challenge John Moxley. Like there's, you know, I could totally see a situation where Moxley beats Archer and then on the screen, Hiroshi Tanahashi just shows up and he's like, John Moxley, <laughs> Mr. John Moxley. <laughs> yeah. And, and, then, and then we're off to the races and it really doesn't matter whether he beats Kenta or not, that's, you know, irrelevant. You know what yeah. I mean? But uh, let's say Abushi does make it in. Viking Pain asks on a scale of 1 to 10, how upset would you be if Kota Abushi beat Shingo for the title at the Dome? And will a Shingo loss hurt the product in your eyes? Um, I think it would just be another, like, we've talked about how things have felt so shaky and snake bitten with this title and with the main event scene. And when Will first took over, it felt like he was bringing a bit of, um, you know, solidarity or like some, uh, you know, just, I don't know. Things just felt more like solid and firm and then he's gone. And then, so Shingo, you know, kind of takes a spot in a big surprise and everyone is super happy about that. But to have him drop the belt in short order would feel, I don't know, I feel like a lot of fans would be disappointed in that, kind of hurt, um, you know, which kind of sucks for Kota Ibushi because, I mean, truth be told, like, it wasn't his fault that his title reign was kind of marred by all these controversies. He had great wrestling matches during his title reign this past year. And, you know, he is a guy we should be talking about as a Wrestler of the Year candidate, but, like, he's not even considered in the conversation just based off the perception so, I mean, had that gone stronger, him and Shingo should be a bigger matchup right now, especially since it's only the second time they've ever wrestled. But, yeah, if he beats Shingo, I mean, we've seen crazy, thing happen, crazy things happen in New Japan the past couple of years, so I'm not putting it past them at all. But um, I wouldn't be surprised. I would, I would be upset, but... It wouldn't even be, for me, it's not even a personal thing. It's, I do like Shingo, but it's not like 
I would be like, oh, they, they, they stole it from my boy. But it would just be like, damn, they're really fucking over the company, you know? Right. All these kind of flip-flop towel changes and not a, a solid not a solid uh, world champion to go off of, you know? Right. And, and to really establish that, that title really needs a, a strong chain, like a strong range to, to establish it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think just giving Shingo the run would be the, the right move here. I mean, I would be kind of disappointed um, if Abushi wins. Like you said, though, I, I could, it, it could happen. It could logistically happen. It's a possible thing and it would make sense in a way because Abushi is a top guy and, um, you might want to get the belt back on him, but yeah, I think they should make make him wait. You know, have a good G one. You know, maybe get another match at the dome if they do two nights. Maybe he's one of the challengers, or wait until sometime next year for him to get the belt back. Yeah. Um, so that's going to uh, wrap up our predictions for uh, Wrestle Grand Slam and all these summer struggle shows. So busy week here for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we got some breaking news for the Resurgent show that will we be. We did? Yeah. Uh, luckily, I was up on uh, NJPW 1972 trying to find something out, and it's all some updated stuff for uh, Resurgent. So new matches have been added to the card. Uh, so first, Alex Coughlin, his challenge match series continues, and he will be facing... Carl Fredericks. Uh, nice. So, LA Dojo boys battling off. It will be, uh, looks like it's going to be the, the first match, the first official match on the main card. And then also confirmed for Resurgence, we're going to have a six-man tag. It's going to be Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler, Utah. Facing off against TJP, Clark Connors, and Ren Narita. What show is that for? Resurgence that we're going to. Oh, so Yuji Nagata is going to be there? Did I say Yuji Nagata? I, I thought that's what you uh, just said. No, uh, Fred, so Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, Wheeler, Utah against TJP, Clark Connors, and Ren Narita. Gotcha. So that means Fred Rosser against Team Filthy is off the table. Yeah. Wow, um, that's big news. So, yeah. Yeah, and they said still to come, you know, the match for Good Brothers, John Moxley, Tom Waller, and Shota Umino. So those announcements will be happening uh, throughout the week. And I'm trying to see, because they mentioned something about dark. This, this six-man tag might be a dark match, too. That sounds like a dark match type of thing. So yeah. that also could be possible. It's possible that guys in the dark match might still end up on the main show just in general, you know? Yeah. Especially if like something that was taped for dark is kind of presented later as part of like strong. Yeah. Uh, so it says two new matches made dark match to kick the evening off. So yeah, it's yeah. Maybe the six man tag is kicking it off then. <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, speaking of Wheeler Utah, it looks like he's wrestling Darby Allen tomorrow night on Fighter Fest Night 2. That oh. was just announced. Awesome. Yeah, they've been uh, really giving Wheeler Utah some spotlight. He's been on Dark and Dark Elevation. He's kind of taken Trent's spot in the Best Friends. Trent out with a neck injury. Um, and so, yeah, he wrestled uh, Sammy Guevara in, in a pretty good match last week on Dynamite. So, yeah, facing Darby, that would be cool. 
Um, so for the dark match, it says all fans live in attendance will be treated to a special dark match at 7.30 p.m. local time. This match will not be a part of the live broadcast, and the only way to see it as it happens will to be at the Torch at Elica Coliseum. Is it uh, going to be a women's match? Maybe. So it's not, the six man on the main card, and there's going to be a special dark match that will happen at 7.30. All right. Watch some stardom. <laughs> Um, and then another resurgence announcement, uh, Matt Morris, the former Aiden English, will be joining the English announced team for resurgence. Uh, if I recall, he was pretty good um, in that role uh, with WWE. So I'm not, you know, that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so he'll be joining Kevin Kelly and Alex Kozlov. So we got a, a three-man boo for the oh, show. Oh, God, Kozlov, you better watch your back. This man is gunning for your position. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Monday strong tapings could end up just being Aid English <laughs> and Kevin Kelly. <laughs> well, I think that's going to uh, take us directly into the news. Um, uh, in news, shows Glate match is now available on NJPW Worlds. So check that out. Uh, Shota Umino defeated Dan Maloney at RepPro in Bristol um, on July 18th. So that's a big win, especially since Dan Maloney was just recently one of the finalists in that uh, SWS or what's the t- SWE? Yes, yeah, Southside. It's the South. Yeah, the, he was in the Southside Heavyweight uh, Title Tournament. And he was in the final, so Shota Umino beating him is a big deal. Um, so, you know, that's kind of leading into Umino's match with Ricky Knight Jr. So, um, also announced at West Coast Pro Cruel Summer tag team match, the West Coast Wrecking Cruel will take on Carl Fredericks and Rocky Romero. Tickets are uh, on sale, limited seatings available. Um, Joe Coff was on the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast and said he believes the relationships with CMLLL, uh, CMLL and New Japan will continue. CMLL disavowed its relationship with Ring of Honor publicly when Ring of Honor talent was booked on the Federation show. Ring of Honor didn't stop them. Legally, Ring of Honor couldn't because its contracts don't cover Mexico. New Japan talent hasn't uh, appeared with Ring of Honor as of late, but has appeared in both AEW and Impact. And this is something I've been wondering about myself. It almost feels like, um, I don't know, with the the other thing kind of with all this like impact as well as AEW have close ties to Triple A. Right. And historically, New Japan has not interacted in any way with Triple A, at least in the past decade, simply because of their relationship with CMLL. And so I'm kind of wondering, like, with all these different lines being crossed, you know, and then the ROH CMLL relationship sort of breaking down publicly recently, whether that's going to be mended, you know, remains to be seen. I'm wondering if, like, New Japan and CMLL continue their relationship or if, like, the forbidden doors opening and, like, we're going to be seeing Psycho Clown show up <laughs> for tri- AAA Fantastica Mania in, in Cork and Hall. You right. Know? Yeah. Next year, yeah, it'll, it'll be AAA Fantastica Mania and then it'll, it'll be All Elite Rising. Vikingo! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Vikingo in New Japan. I just thought about that. <laughs> yeah. So. Triple A. He's the same music, same graphics, just put the Triple A logo. 
Cain Velasquez is going to show up and start doing flips. <laughs> it's going to be great. Oh, man. But, yeah, we also had a question here from Viking Pig. Viking Payne said recently Joe Koff, the CEO of ROA, said that despite their final relationship with New Japan, they have now become a competitor in the U.S. because of strong. So it got me thinking, once this pandemic is over, do you guys expect the gates to come down again with Western promotions going back to, into isolation to control their market share? Or will it be too late to put their talent sharing thing back into the bottle? Well, to be honest with you, I think that's really going to come down to AEW and Tony Khan. Um, his policies seem to be the market dictator since he, since truth be told right now, AEW is the second largest wrestling company out there. Um, in some regards, new Japan, I guess, could still be viewed that way, especially over in Japan, but here in this market domestically here in the States, it's really going to come down to what they do as a market leader and that really is going to allow or disallow certain things from, from being able to happen. Um, you know, if competition becomes too fierce, you might not see some of these groups working together so much in the future. But based on the way he's talked publicly on podcasts and the radio and in interviews, it seems that he's very much publicly open to allowing different groups. He, like, he's pretty much said that he thinks there should be many, many wrestling groups that all kind of coexist working together. And if that is the case, and that seems to be uh, a winning you know, business strategy across the board for the industry, it might not matter. You might still just continue to see groups working together. Right, yeah. Like you said, yeah, Tony Khan, he, he's the power broker here. Uh, all the chips kind of fall off what AEW does. And so... Like you mentioned, yeah, he's been very open. Uh, Kenny Omega has been in interviews saying they're very open and said, you know, they would work with WWE if that that was an option. So that they're kind of willing to work with anybody that, as long as it's you know good for business. And that's not to say that they're going to tell New Japan what they can and can't do. That's never going to be the case. New Japan, you know, has proven time and time again to kind of be their their own you know company and sort of uh, sometimes to their own detriment, been stubborn to a fault. So. Uh, you know, anything could change and New Japan can make a decision and, and that working relationship would cease to exist. But um, like Jeremy mentioned, he's Tony is the, the power broker in this domestic market. So I think that that's kind of the indicator uh, going forward. But we'll see what happens. I mean, it seems to be affecting New Japan's policies as well here in this country. So, yeah. Um, Final bit of news, this week's free match of the week, the KOPW 2020 final four-way match, El Desperado, Sonata, uh, Okada, and Toriano from Summer Struggle 2020 in Jingu Stadium. I don't know why you would make that match your free match of the week, but uh, that's it. That's the inaugural, <laughs> inaugural um, KOPW match. So, You don't get people hyped for that rainbow. Yeah, I wish they'd get rid of that and then bring back actual King of Pro Wrestling, the show. Yeah, um, Yeah, that would be great. But uh, we've got some questions here, and then we're going to get to the recommended match of the week. Uh, we're going to start off with Rambone Slam Pig. He asked, with the resurgence in mid-August and AEW all out in early September, does it seem likely that one or more stars from the Japanese side of New Japan Pro Wrestling may come over and make appearances at both while they're here? If they have to quarantine twice, may as well make the most of it, right? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen guys that come over into the States, kind of work multiple shows or work AEW 
impact strong. So if somebody is coming over, it, it would make sense to kind of hang around for, for big shows. Um, I think Resurgence is definitely uh, a high likelihood of somebody from Japan coming over to appear on that. Um, as far as All Out, I mean, I think it just kind of depends. Depends again on Tony Khan what he has laid out for that pay per view. It's going to be a big show in Chicago, already sold out. It seems like they're building towards Hangman and Kenny as the main event, and you know that they have a very big roster, and you know they only do about eight matches on the main card. So I think it, it, I, well, I'll tell you what though, if it was Tanahashi, they would find a spot for him. Now I'm not saying a major singles position on the card. But we've seen them do some uh, showcase tag team matches for like Joshi stars and things like that mm-hmm. on the pay-per-views. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tanahashi's in the area. And let's say he even hypothetically, you know, beats John Moxley for the title. Maybe he doesn't. Um, but let's say he does and he's the new champion. They're probably going to bring him on and have him, you know, wrestle on the pay-per-view. Yeah. The, the only issue with New Japan guys working all out, it's the same weekend as Wrestle Grand Slam and MetLife Dome. They're running two shows, the fourth and the fifth. So, Oh, uh, yeah, that that would probably be the case. Yeah, but I mean, think about it. I mean, he kind of brought up a good point. Um, resurgence is in mid-August. Uh, short turnaround for someone like a Tanahashi or Kenta to get here work the show and then get back in time for, you know, the, the, the dome shows over, you know, the stadium shows over in Japan. Right. Yeah. So they might be here and need to just be here anyways, just from a uh, logistics standpoint, why not have them work the all out show? If that is what's going to happen, you know? Right. Um, I don't know if that timetable works for them to get back to Japan. Yeah, that's what, it'll be interesting. I mean, Tony has been promising a lot of big surprises for upcoming shows. So, yeah, you know, a Tanahashi or somebody of that level sticking around to, to be at All Out would be pretty cool. Mitch MM22 uh, asks, last week you guys discussed New Japan being the promotion hit hardest by the pandemic. And I definitely agree. Despite the pandemic situation in Japan, I feel like non-New Japan Pro promotions like Stardom and the Cyberfight Group, especially Noah, have managed to still put on a quality product, create buzz, and earn a lot of praise from fans and critics. What factors or decisions do you think led to these other promotions and New Japan having totally different pandemic experiences? Or maybe you guys disagree and think all Pro promotions are struggling uh, right now. Curious for your guys' thoughts. Sorry for the long-winded question, but this topic really intrigued me last week. Keep up the great work, and thanks for being the best wrestling podcast around. You know it. Well, thanks, Mitch MM22. Yeah, a uh, very interesting thing here. Because it def- definitely, it seems like there has been um, a lot more buzz for other pure promotions, especially Stardom. I feel like Stardom has really picked up their popularity uh, this year, especially with that uh, you know crazy you know big uh, five-star title match that they had. Uh, a few weeks ago, and I don't know. I just think it's one of those things where, like, New Japan was just so high up on the pedestal, and the fact that we're getting all these smaller shows, no crowd interaction, the top off. You know, last year you had Evil winning the title, and then we have this Dick Togoism, you know, going around. You have KOPW, 
I think there's a lot of things that, you know, New Japan fans looked at that they weren't a fans of. And I think it's a lot easier to kind of look at a smaller promotion that's already small, um, kind of thriving in a small environment, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, I, so this is kind of a loaded question. I mean, truth be told, I think obviously, and I mean, it's a no brainer, the pandemic negatively affected all Japanese wrestling promotions. There's no denying that. Uh, the real question is as to what extent. And let's be very clear here. I think All Japan, while they've done some things creatively that are interesting, um, they're not anywhere near as strong as what they were prior to the pandemic. I think that it's hurt them quite a bit. Uh, we saw what was the, what's the company that Muto was running that went out of business? Uh, was it Zero One? Yeah, I think it was Zero One or. I don't know. It's one of those companies that that company went out of business. Big Japan was struggling. Um, I can't really speak for Dragon Gate, to be honest, but I, you know, well, who knows? Um, and I also think before the cyber agent thing, Noah, as well as DDT were kind of, you know, under a little bit of a strain, you know, um, I think part of the reason why, Noah, as well as Stardom, are kind of seen in in, in a sense that they um, are sort of on the upswing. I mean, I think it's no surprise that the two companies that had major buyouts and major infusions of cash, capital, and investment, you know, thrived during this period. That's not really a coincidence. The other thing, too, is both of those companies from a creative standpoint and, and all that, they were already – momentous and on the upswing prior to the pandemic hitting, I believe pandemic or no pandemic, they were both poised to have breakout years anyways, you know, and you kind of look at uh, the the types of wrestling matches that they're putting on and, and the appeal that they were gaining, especially um, with fans here in the West that, that might speak to kind of, the question there. Yeah. And I think another thing is a lot of these other Puro companies do not have a heavy reliance on guys in talent. I feel like a lot of these other Puro guys are using domestic local guys. When you look at new Japan, you know, that they're, they're bringing in Moxley, they're bringing in, you know, all these juniors, Dragon Lee and all these guys for the junior division, for the heavyweight division. There's they, they, they brought a lot of guys in for G1 and best super junior. And all these big shows, Chris Jericho, you know, it relied heavily on guys and talent. And with Boris being close, we saw a lot of guys couldn't get into the country. And meanwhile, all these other companies are using domestic homegrown people. That's a great point. I didn't even think of that. And that's got to be a huge contributing factor. I think one of the other big things is while Japanese wrestling is always typically very traditional in their calendars uh, within the context of their own you know, group, whatever it is that they tend to do. Um, New Japan seems to just be much more beholden to their traditions and to their schedules and their booking philosophies more so than any other group. And that's actually been one of their strengths, why they're so consistent. But at the same time, in this case, I think it's been to their detriment to some degree um, because they've kind of just been reliant on needing to follow the status of whatever it was their booking strategy had been and what their schedule had necessitated. 
and they've kind of fallen into the trap of needing to to meet all these goals. Plus, the fact that they, being a bigger company and having the um, obligation to to meet the demands of their shareholders to produce the the type of uh, revenue that they've been the past couple of years, and it's almost an impossible task has also required them to put on crappier shows, just, you know, put on content for content sake so that they can try to make up the losses. And it's kind of been an uphill battle. I think, and then obviously like some of the stuff you mentioned, Jeremy, um, some of the wacky booking decisions, all of that, all of that has kind of contributed. So, and then you kind of contrast that with like stardom and, and Noah, like you mentioned, they've got all these stars that they've kind of built up domestically and they're, you know, not always, but, you know, they got a lot of young talent or talent that are in their primes. Uh, I know Noah is also relying on a lot of age stars as well. But, you know, they've just been having incredible runs of great matches and creating a lot of buzz and excitement off that where New Japan has been able to do quite that same thing. Right. And like you mentioned, too, with the whole, you know, having to create content, I think also the... Just the increased amount of shows New Japan has had to do in order to kind of break even, you know, yeah. I mean, we have been seeing them increase the schedule, but I feel like with the pandemic, they had to increase it even more to try and get the number of seats they need to break even. So I think if there was that's, a, that's what I meant. Yeah. yeah, I think if there was a less amount of shows too. I mean, I think I think all these other periods, I think they're still running their pretty normal schedule maybe they had maybe one or two extra in their calendar but it's not like new japan where like this week we have literally four big shows uh these three summer struggles and wrestle grand slam like i don't think that would have, would have happened in a normal calendar year it's chunky asked do you still believe new japan will return to msg for wrestle dynasty um, I think so. I mean, they are very heavy on that, but you know they've definitely lost some momentum since the first MSG show. Uh, I, I definitely think they should, you know, use their American partners to once again help them fill that building. But I think they'll try and do it again in the future. At some point, I believe so, but we'll see. Um, I hope so. Is my answer. Grunty Dodds asked, we just passed the one-year anniversary of Master Watto's debut. What letter grade would you give his first year? Uh, I'd go, like, C-. minus. Um, you know, he, he's not a, a horrible wrestler, but also we, we, we've talked about it here on this show, just kind of the, the lack of confidence. You know, there are some kind of sloppiness in some of his matches, some botches. Uh, and sometimes he looks really good, you know, when he's when he's hitting that torneo and that, that spiral tap and... Uh, some of his strikes look look really good, and just depending on who's in in there with, um, it seems like sometimes he he just he's on a roll, and sometimes he's not. He's kind of had a, a lot of hit and miss um, kind of moments. I mean, even just the debut itself of him, you know, being attacked by Doki, <laughs> one of the lowest guys on the totem pole, was not the greatest way for him to start. C minus sounds good to me. Um, Viking Pain asked, Malachi Black kills people, is possibly possessed, and has Undertaker like teleportation powers. Do you still want this man in New Japan? Um, I think as long as, you know, Gato pulls the TK rule and kind of reins him in, I'd be fine with it. Um, I mean, we already have, you know, lights on and off of Evil and Dick Togo, so it's whatever. But as long as all his lore is reined in, uh, I'd be fine. Yeah, uh, you know, Tommy End is raw as fuck, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> um 
with New Japan beginning to issue vaccine passports on July 26th, the passport that will allow a fully vaccinated person more freedom to travel. What Japanese talent could use a run on Strong to help freshen him up a bit? My pick would be Goto. Goto versus Tom Lawler. Yes, please. Yeah, I feel like any of those, uh, the Never Six Man guys, uh, Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi, I think would be cool for them to show up on Strong. But honestly, I think with the passport, I, I think we need, we need more guys from the U.S. coming to Japan to kind of freshen up the scene there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think Ishii's not a, or I'm sorry, Goto's not a bad pick. The only thing is he's still, you know, uh, tied to the never six man tag team titles. And I, you know, I don't see any reason to kind of break them up right now, especially since the G one's coming up and I'm assuming he's going to be involved with that. Um, the one person I could think of that I'd like to see come over, uh, for a short run is someone that you mentioned earlier, Jeremy, Zach Sabre Jr. I think that he'd be a great addition to the strong roster. I can just imagine him having all sorts of classic battles with, Chris Dickinson, Ren Narita, uh, Brody. Tom Lawler, Fred Yehi. There's all kinds of guys for him to work, you know? Yeah, yeah, it'd be a great set of matchups, guys. He's already wrestled new matchups. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, I know you guys talked about this briefly once, but will Young Boy be willing to share his idea of a 24-man G1 in detail in the future? I was thinking that if you were to split the blocks up by six men per block for A, B, C, and D, you might be able to pull it off. Have A, B, and C be shows in Japan while D be a show for Strong, and then the winners of A, B, C, and D face each other in a final four with the winners of those matches going off into the championship round. Theoretically, it could work, and with Strong roster getting stronger and deeper, it's something I would love to see. So what do you think, young boy? Did we include Strong in your uh, 24-man block idea? No, I'm not a big fan of that personally, unless um, unless you get to the point where I mean you can do the kind of business here in the states that they typically do over in Japan, which I don't see as being a viable possibility. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- my whole idea has always been, um, you know, it's 20 men now. You do 24 men, you get more people included in the tournament. You get more resting for you know the the guys that are competing. You blow off less big matches throughout the year, so you can actually save some of those matches. We still get the same amount of entertainment. In fact, we actually end up getting more shows and more matches. Not, but not too many to, to where it's overwhelming. And then, yeah, you get uh, a compelling A block versus B block final, or you know however you want to do it. You you get two finals and then a, a grand final on top of that. Um, I just think for the competitors, it, it'd probably be better, and I think they can make more money doing it that way. Yeah, you've talked about this idea for years now, and I, I think I've always thought it's a great idea. Um, you, you can also do shows where potentially you do A and C block on the same night and B and D block on the same night. Not all throughout the show, but maybe like when you're ready to do, I don't know, Yokohama Stadium, or I don't know. Yeah, if you're, you know. If you're on Osaka Joe Hall, like in the middle of the tour, yeah. the tour you, you do a, a full G1 card. Yeah, or Nippon Budokan or whatever, you know, maybe those last, you know, the last five nights you run one of those big buildings and yeah, you could do some 
big business. So, um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't see it being viable to, to do the entire tournament on the American side, including the G1. I, I don't know for me, I, I guess I'm a traditionalist. It's like, you want to be in the G1, you got to go to Japan to be in that G1. You know, that's where the, the best tournament in the world is run. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm all down for strong guys going to Japan and being a part of the G1. Um, Stephen Waiteka asked, looking back on New Japan working agreements, who would you like to see them side with to help it uh, help uh, in the U.S.? Ring of Honor, MLW, AEW, Impact. Ring of Honor and MLW seem to be more like New Japan pro wrestling products, while AEW and Impact are more entertainment aspect. Yeah, I think, yeah, from a stylistic standpoint, it's a good point of, yeah, ROH and MLW, very kind of sports-based, um, hard-hitting grappling, um, and does kind of fit more with the New Japan product. But at the end of the day, I think AEW is going to be the, the one that's going to get uh, more eyeballs on them. I mean, for me, it's always come, uh, the talent trade agreements and the working agreements have always come down to talent trade, you know? Where are the big stars so we can have the big matches? Used to be Ring of Honor. It's not Ring of Honor anymore. I can barely tell you the matches that I'd want to see between New Japan and Ring of Honor. I couldn't have... What was that show they used to do? Honor Rising? Yeah, Honor Rising, yeah, in Japan. Yeah, they did the Honor Rising shows in in Japan. And, like, God, what would an Honor Rising show look like right now, you know? PCO. Oh, actually, (laughs) I like PCO, but, like... You know, it just, it just wouldn't be the same at this point. Like, I'd much rather see an AEW New Japan show. I'm not even that big on Impact. Like, for me, Impact is sort of just like a a carry honor for AEW at this point. Right. <laughs> like, it just kind of happens it, to be there. <laughs> it's there, and there's some cool stuff happening, but it's more by proxy than anything else. So, yeah. And MLW, who knows about them? I mean, I don't even know. Um, so or we got a question from Muzzle. He said, if you guys had to pick a starting five baseball team plus one utility sub for new Japan, who would you pick? I don't even know what he's talking about. Basketball. He he wants us to pick a a basketball team of new Japan guys. Dude, I don't watch basketball. (laughs) I watch fighting. I watch fake and real fighting. Uh, I mean, I I watch a little hockey because they can get down, but... They they scrap a little bit. Yeah, they scrap a little bit, but, you know, basketball. (laughs) I don't know who the fuck is good at basketball. You know who's good in basketball, Jeremy? Out of a New Japan roster, no. I mean, just thinking, I mean, I don't know, maybe Sonata. He has has some ups, pretty athletic. Picking (laughs) Fale. He's big. Be, Be a center. I don't know. I don't know what positions they play in <laughs> basketball, Jeremy. Is there a forward or something? Yeah, a power forward, a point guard. What do they do? I, I know. I know. I know. The center is always big because you know. I know Shaq was a center. <laughs> I don't know anyone. I don't know. A Pretty sure. Uh, Sky Pippen yes. was a point forward. Asking the wrong. Why would we even waste anyone's time? With he this? actually asked the same question to One Nation Radio, but asking them to use, I think, AEW guys. That's yeah, and they watch basketball. Yeah, they did a whole like thirty minutes this past week on you know Team USA, and I listened to it, but I didn't know what they were talking about. Like, yeah, I agree. With them, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, also, who are your favorite member? Who was your favorite member of Three Count? Was it? Helms more Evan. 
My God, what kind of fucking <laughs> this is a new Japan pro wrestling podcast. Okay. And the answer is Shannon Moore. Also, let's <laughs> I don't know. Evan Courageous, I guess. I, I think I liked Evan Courageous. I don't even remember. Actually, I liked Tank Abbott. That's who I liked from three from three count. Honestly, I don't remember watching three count during when it actually happened. I was kind of saw it afterwards. But I mean, out of those three, I'd probably say Hurricane was my favorite. Oh, Muzza, you need to do better, bro. <laughs> Wasting our time. Hawaiian Punch BV said, "Did you check out Charlo versus Castano? Thoughts on the decision? I personally scored it. Castano one fifteen, one thirteen, but I'm okay with the draw. One seventeen, one eleven for Charlo is terrible, though. Texas gonna Texas." And uh, no, I didn't catch the fight. Uh, busy week, busy weekend. Uh, once I looked into it and I realized that they're fighting for the like undisputed junior middleweight title, I was very intrigued. Uh, I've heard great things. I heard it was like a fight of the year contender, so I'm going to definitely watch it. Um, and yeah, um, from almost all reports, I mean, I've seen a lot of guy, a lot of people have decisions one way or the other. Most seem to be totally fine with the draw. Uh, which sounds like the makings of a great fight. But yeah, that 117-111, I mean, I looked at, at the punch stats and the compu box and everything. I mean, there's no way. Um, and based on all media scores and everything, there's no way. So yeah, that's th- that it's one of the reasons why people don't like, you know, don't watch boxing. It's because, and MMA too. Yeah. <laughs> Thoughts on uh, Corey Sanhagen versus TJ Dillashaw? What did you think the UFC's approach of trying to redeem Dillashaw for doping? Uh, biggest factor in the fight: Sanhagen he- height and reach, or Dillashaw's wrestling? Um, and I mean, are you familiar with either of these guys, Jeremy? Yeah, I'm more familiar with TJ Dillashaw. I've heard uh, Corey Sanhagen's name. I've probably seen him fight, but nothing really like stands out to me. He hit that uh, giant V trigger on. Um, Frankie Edgar knocked him out recently. Oh, okay. Pretty... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Frankie Edgar's like one of my all-time favorite fighters, so <laughs> I was pretty upset. But, um, yeah, this one, it's hard to really – I'm all for the, the approach. You know, Dillashaw uh, is a great fighter, even though he got caught doping and all that. Um, I mean, there's no denying what he's accomplished in the sport. Corey, Corey Sanhagen's, I believe, number two at bantamweight. Um, so this has the makings of a great fight. Uh, Dillshaw's got great wrestling, but you know, one thing that I think you're kind of discounting here is his, like his striking ability. I mean, he's like incredible on his feet, incredibly fast, but at the same time, um, you know, he's aged, you know, it's not 2016 anymore. So I don't know what to expect. We haven't seen him fight in in a long time. And, Corey Sanhagen is a hellacious striker. So uh, I think I'm leaning towards Corey just because he's surging right now. And there's just too many unknowns with TJ Dillashaw, you know? Yeah. Dom Homie 101 asked us, he said, non-New Japan question. Any thoughts on Monday Night Raw debut of Karrion Cross? Oh, man. I mean, it was absolutely horrible. Very uh, bad booking. You have your current NXT champion who's been undefeated uh, you know, cleaned up the NXT roster showing up on Monday Night Raw and losing in less than two minutes to a 
you know, wash Jeff Hardy, who's been losing to, you know, Jinder's lackeys on the main event. Um, just shows you, you know, stuff just happens, bad booking. Um, Vince is upset that NXT lost to war, sees those guys as a bunch of losers, and he's sending a message. Bro, I don't, I don't know. I once, once they had Brock Lesnar split Roman Reigns to the white meat at WrestleMania in New Orleans, that let me know everything I need to know about this company. I don't give a fuck about WWE. Like, I, I watched some of the bigger shows. You know, funny thing is, um, I did watch this Raw mainly because my girlfriend really loves John Cena. It's like one of her all favorite <laughs> guys, and like, uh, it sounds like I'm gonna have to watch SmackDown on Friday too. But hopefully, I can get out of that. Sounds like you're gonna be going to uh, SmackDown next month when it's here in Possibly. Tampa. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was dead ass asleep during the show. Like, I, I woke up and Karen Cross is getting rolled up and. Funny thing is, like, Jeff Hardy, like, cheated. Jeff yeah, Hardy's put like, on the ropes. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck's going on there. Uh, another non-wrestling question. Thoughts on the whole cardboard bed situation that's going on at the Olympics? Do you know about this? I don't even know what he's talking about. No, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not familiar with that. I didn't have time to look it we'll up. To ask us again next week. Maybe I'll look into it and, uh, you know, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. Um what are some great boxing matchups that uh, should have taken place but never took place? My pick would be Lennox Lewis versus Riddick Bowe, Ray Leonard versus Aaron Pryor, Juan Manuel Marquez versus Eric Morales. Those were all really great picks. Um, man, uh, dude, too many to name. Um, I was really wanting to see Roy Jones Jr. in like 03, 04-ish when he went to heavyweight. I really wanted to see him fight Mike Tyson and or Evander Holyfield and make, you know, the hundreds of millions that he was supposed to have made in his career. But then he went back to light heavyweight and fought Tarver, which was a mistake. <laughs> so that that's a big one. Um, trying to think. Uh, I mean, you know, there was always the uh, – God, what's his name? Margarito and uh, Mayweather never happened at welterweight. That's another one. Um, I don't know. Jeremy, you're not like a big boxing guy, huh? Nah. But, you know, I wanted to see uh, Mike Tyson versus Bart Gunn. You know? <laughs> the brawl for all champ. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, this is one I'd probably have to put some thought into. I mean, I think – the ones you listed, Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bowe, two of the most dominant, you know, heavyweights of the nineties that, that one screams out, you know, that's obvious. Plus Riddick Bowe, you know, ducking Lennox Lewis, obviously Leonard Pryor is another one. I think Leonard would have worked prior, but, um, yeah, it's a big one. And then Marquez and Morales is, a, you know, they were like that fab four of the, of the flyweight guy or not flyweight, but like the featherweight guys, of that generation. Um, so that's a big one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to think about this one and, and get back to you. There's, there's quite a few fights that like I wish would have happened that didn't, but, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, any thoughts on the four part showtime documentary about the four Kings? How would you rank them four to one? And would you say that Wilford Benitez is the forgotten fifth King since he fought three out of the four Kings? Um, I haven't gotten a chance to watch this. I've heard really great things about it. I don't have showtime. 
Um, Who are the, the t- four kings? Uh, so during the late 70s, early 80s, um, you had uh, Ray Leonard, um, Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, and Marvin Hagler. Um, you know, from about welterweight on up to middleweight, they kind of dominated the era. Um, and they all fought each other at various times between 1980 uh, up until 1989, I think it's the last match between those guys. Um, and they drew like incredible, incredible money, had some of the most legendary fights and knockouts. I mean, like it, it was one of the most profitable, like round robins of guys fighting each other. You so know? They were the four um, pillars. They were like the four pillars of boxing, yeah, pretty much. And then um, to answer your question, I would agree that Wilford Benitez was like the forgotten fifth guy um, because he did fight. Uh, see, uh, he, he never fought Marvin Hagler, but he did fight um, Ray Leonard. And he also – yeah, and he fought Tommy Hearns and he fought uh, Roberto Duran. So, yeah, um, he's up there. In terms of ranking them four to one um, – Man, that's a really, really, really hard question. Um, I would probably go Tommy Hearns number four. And to be clear, Tommy Hearns is my favorite fighter of all time. So this is me being unbiased. Um, number two would have to be Marvin Hagler. Or I'm sorry, number three would have to be Marvin Hagler. Number two would be Roberto Duran. Um, and then number one would be Ray Leonard. And uh, I'm not just talking about for the era. I'm talking about their entire career body of work and also kind of taking into account head-to-head matchups, that sort of thing. Um, uh, but, you know, they're four of the greatest fighters of all time. So I'm sure there's people listening that probably disagree with me. Mm. But, uh, you know, I think Ray Leonard's maybe like the greatest fighter we've ever seen. Like, I think he would have fucking, like, destroyed Floyd Mayweather, so. Mm. Uh, Last question. This is not a question, but this is a recommendation. I recommend the people check out the Jamel Charlo versus Brian Castano fight. The scorecards were just the scorecards, but it was still a great fight. Hopefully, they'll run it back. I agree. I'll check it out. And uh, that's going to do it for the questions. And uh, we're going to wrap up the show. Recommend a match of the week. Last week, my recommendation was to you, Jeremy. Um, I recommended from the G1 in, I believe, what was it, 2016? 2017? Uh, 2017, B-Block. Okada yeah, uh, versus Elgin. Okada taking on the now um, incarcerated Michael Elgin. Yeah, so, yeah, that news came out, like, right after, like, you recommended this match, but, uh... Yeah, yeah. I was like, thank... Oh, I'm so glad <laughs> I recommended this felon. Uh, yeah, but despite, you know, what happened, uh, this was a great matchup. I had not seen this match uh, previously, uh, this was awesome. They were in Cork and Hall. We had a split crowd here. You know, Cork and that that smarky crowd at times, and they, you know, half the crowd was behind Elgin, half behind Okada. Uh, great crowd reactions. Uh, kind of story of the match. Elgin was just outpowering Okada. You know, Okada would try some of his signature stuff, and you know, Big Mike would just kind of catch him, throw him around. A uh, ton of great suplexes and slams. Uh, one thing that popped for was. Um, when Okada was going for his signature crossbody over the rails, and um, Elgin caught him in the crowd and threw him back over the rails, so that was pretty dope. Um, 
Elgin had a lot of great like deadlift Germans and deadlift like clutch suplexes. He uh, tried for like the, the Cesaro inside out, but uh, Kyle was able to reverse that. Did some Kyle had some great drop kicks as usual in this match. Uh, Elgin hit a rainmaker at one point, followed by a regular lariat. Then he hit a crucifix bomb. And Okada kicked out at two point nine 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 nine, like I that near fall. Um, Elga Elgin then went to a, his Chris Hero phase and just started throwing roaring elbows. Uh, a lot of great back and forth at the closing stretch. Um, uh, Elgin desperately trying to hit the the Elgin bomb. He went for the buckle bomb. Okada reverses. Uh, Elgin hits a choke bomb, gets a near fall. Okada does a rainmaker out of the burning hammer. Hits another rainmaker. Um, then you get another closing stretch of sequences, and then Okada hits another Rainmaker. One, two, three. Okada defeated Michael Elgin. Yeah. Uh, what would you give in this match ratings-wise? Uh, probably like four and a half, maybe four and three quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's absolutely, yeah, absolutely incredible matchup. Miss hearing a hot, raucous, uh, corking hall crowd and, uh, you know, Big Mike not not a great person, but he was a, a great professional wrestler. Yeah, absolutely, totally agree. Um, glad that you got a chance to check this out and enjoyed it. And what do you got for me next week? So for this week, the recommended match of the week is Prince Devitt versus Ricochet from the 2013 Best of the Super Junior Tournament. Great. I'll be happy to check that one out. That's the year that um, Prince Devitt was Bullet Club, right? Yeah, he's in Bullet Club. He's the junior champion in this matchup. And I was very surprised. This match has, like, no ratings on cage matches. Like, no, not that many reviews about it. And I watched it yesterday. Thought it was a great main event from this uh, Super Junior show. And... You know, two of the bigger stars um, in wrestling today, uh, Prince uh, Devitt, now Finn Balor, and Ricochet. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty good. Cool. Well, I'll be happy to check that out, and I'll give you guys my uh, review next week. And that's going to uh, wrap things up for he- us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review Summer Struggle in Osaka, Nagoya, and Wrestle Grand Slam. And, of course, cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. The show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash social suplex. In the Wrestling Squared Circle, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we're at Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Discord server. Link for that is in the show notes of the show. Make sure you check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd, the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati, 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two, All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.